FM. See you on the lift. Back attack, dude. <laughs> hey, yo, homies. <laughs> Slide down the big hills. You know what I mean? On the big, nice, burgundy snowboard. All right, welcome to the bomb hole, which is presented by Pub Beer. Now, uh, unfortunately, Stony Buds was not able to make this episode, but this is temporary. He will be back. Uh, but the first thing I got to ask is, uh, Mikey LeBlanc, how are you doing today? Really good, Chris. Thanks for having me. Good to hear your soothing voice through the headphones, Mike. No problem. <laughs> uh, to my left, we got so- uh, Stale Sandbeck in the booth. Stole. Stale. How you doing, Stale? Doing uh, very good. Very good. What's the proper... Glad to be here with you guys. Thank you. We're so glad you're here. We're missing Stony Buds, too, but... We are. Let's, you, let's you guys are... Stony. Let's give Yanni Buds an air horn. Big love, Stony. First question, though, uh, before I do my intro. Stole? How's it? How's the real pronunciation? Stole. 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 Okay. Well, we're, I'm probably going to butcher that. For the people that don't know... Yeah, that's pretty good. Stole is... Yeah. <laughs> stole is an elite... Pro snowboarder. He's, of course, Norwegian. He's an ATV, an all-terrain vehicle. It can ride any type of terrain. He's competed in four Olympics. Got a silver in Sochi in slope style. Well, the year he had the Mohawk. He's won the TTR World Tour. He's got medals at X Games, every event you can think of. He competed at Arctic Challenge at age 13. He was on the forefront of social media and YouTubing with this series called Stale Life. Stole Life. With Gimbal God. <laughs> Uh, Stolle has been on top of his game for so long, watched many come and go, and continue progressing for well over a decade. The kid's been in the game since he was a fetus, basically. <laughs> uh, but recently, I think the good place to start, we'll go back to your childhood at some point, but you recently decided to walk away from competitions. Why did you do that? Yes. I guess I guess it's kind of the first time I say it in, in a media uh, place. So yeah, I'm I'm done competing, and uh, I guess it was about time. It's been like 15 years of doing like TTR World Cups, all these contests, and it was just uh, my motivations was more uh, towards filming back entry. Like when I was at a contest, I would rather think of tricks I could do on the cliff I saw next to the <laughs> course or something else you know or like video ideas and I uh, yeah it was just time I was uh, tired of it I I enjoyed it when it was good conditions and weather it was fun like I there's a competitive person inside of me but when it was bad weather windy icy you couldn't see shit and you're still supposed to do triple corks like that was at the end, really draining. Like it was sca- way more scary than before because my motivation was somewhere else. Uh, but I, I loved it for, done it for so long. I still, when I look at it, at the contest this year, like if it's good weather, I'm like, shit, kind of looks nice. But uh, it's good to be moving on and getting the, to spend more time on the other aspects of snowboarding. Mm-hmm. Now I wonder, thinking about the contest circuit, if you will, you're traveling. Every weekend, different place. Seems like you're always on the move, always going. Um, how is it adapting to a bit of a more mellow schedule? It, it's been weird, to be honest. Uh, a combination between uh, getting out of the contest scene, which is already like there's like kind of a 
a pl uh, place, a room to fill in your brain that's uh, empty now. That you're like, what? What? You're used to something extraordinary going on all the time. Like the seasons kind of planned for you, and then you're all of a sudden gotta plan everything yourself. Find your crew. Uh, be lucky with snow conditions, and. Uh, it's kind of was flowing the whole time before. Like I did contests, maybe at the end of the year I got lucky. There was powder, filmed like, filmed like short video parts in very short amount of time. But then this season came and I was kind of planning on starting it in Europe. Europe was terrible, and then I was sick quite a bit. I think I had the street jam flu for like half a year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just got getting back from it, and then like. My U.S. visa was not approved until last week. So I kind of just been sitting in Norway, looking at you guys riding Brighton, <laughs> getting powder every day, just like freaking out. Like what this empty space is like what I'm like, no adrenaline rush, like not like any all the things I had planned to do. Like this was my time to film like my, my video part, you know, and then everything kind of just went shit. <laughs> Yeah. But there's still time left of the season. So uh yeah, we got some more time. Yeah. Exciting. Yeah, by the time this comes out, your trip will be done, but I know you're heading to Alaska yeah. allegedly, correct? Yeah, last minute joined in. Uh so Spenny Gimbal God is doing a project, yeah. Big air horn. Um mm -hmm. uh, and uh he's doing a project with Judd. And he's also filming Torger's project. So <laughs> it's a good crew there. I just came from, I was able to be three days with them in Whistler at their camp spot, sleeping in tents, and uh, showed up first day uh, in the backcountry. Like they had already built the jump, but they wanted to block it up like four blocks to make it way bigger. My first day there, hadn't really been hitting any big jumps. Uh, <laughs> We were building this while Judd hit this massive cliff. I'm like, damn, these guys are on fire. Like, I'm just, like, trying to find my groove again. All of a sudden, the helicopter rolls in. Spenny gets in the helicopter. We're all of a sudden having a helicopter session in the backcountry. And I'm about to hit the first jump of the season. <laughs> 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 and Torgerg just goes, like, massive first hit. And I'm like, oh, God. Like, normally I wasn't scared of that, but it had been, like, this winter had been, like, slower than normally normally by this time you're like fearless yeah. you can do anything but i wasn't there yet i was like what there's a helicopter mm -hmm. it's like almost like a helicopter it looked like almost on that american flag you know and just spinning out of there like, ah, go 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 <laughs> just freaking out but yeah they they got some cool stuff going and yeah back to your question <laughs> uh we're going to alaska uh with those guys same type of setup gonna go camp on the glacier for 10 days in tents and uh yeah my first i think all of us except spenny's first trip to alaska it's gonna be me awesome. judd torger and brand davis also sick sick crew now one thing you talked about a couple times and i don't know the verbiage you used exactly but i think that's something super fascinating is how you've trained your brain I think a lot of snowboarders that do it at a high level train their brain into being very comfortable chucking on like giant park jumps, for example. You know, I always think about contest guys 
you know, I was talking to Sage once and he landed a trick and can't remember what he was doing, but he's like, I've done a lot of back tens in my day. And you think about a contest guy might have done like a thousand back tens, whereas a video part person might have done every time they film one, they do one. So maybe they've done five or maybe mm -hmm. they've done six. And so, um, but your guys' pattern of constantly getting out of your comfort zone and being like, okay, this is a big jump. I got to do a 14 and then having that taken away. But I don't know. I guess I kind of want to talk about training your brain to be comfortable in chucking on big park jumps and how that's worked for you. Yeah. I mean, it all comes down to how much you do it and how much you think about it because you can like, I guess you guys been talking about it here too. Like you mind board. Yeah. Mind boarding. Yeah. Mind boarding. Like you, when you get to a certain level i guess or i can't i guess kind of early you start almost learning tricks in your mind mm -hmm. and when you try them you some people are crazy they just try them right away when they think about it some people work on it in their their mind and then a lot of the times the best uh, dudes they they land these tricks first try mm -hmm. like almost or first or second or third like a first ever triple cork might have happened first try almost you know mm -hmm. because they have played it in their mind for so many yep. days you know is that what you do for sure i i mean I, there's like times where you're more obsessed so it's like in your mind all the time and other times where you're more relaxed um but uh for sure like most of the the big big tricks i did i almost landed first try because i was always I didn't take the risk until I was ready for it, you know? And that's kind of how you stay out of injuries. Mm -hmm. And injuries will fuck you up. Like, if you, if you get injured for a year now with the progression, you're far behind when you get back. So it's, like, almost better staying a little bit behind and then going there when you're ready and not getting injured and pushing it too fast, you know? Mm -hmm. So you got to be smart, too. It's, like, tactical play as well as your... You got to grow balls to do it and you got to snowboard. And uh, I think the the most important to like do these gnarly tricks is that you got to want to do it. Mm -hmm. It has to be fun mm -hmm. because I, I mean, only there's certain people out there that are very competitive and they they go to the mountain, they have their list, they're going to train. Uh, but most of the riders, the, it needs to come from like inside. You got to have fun if you're going to risk your body chucking carcass off a huge jump on shitty conditions or it's not always good conditions you know we're on the mountain it's most of the time it's kind of stormy mm -hmm. yeah i like what you're saying about you know in alaska you or sorry when you and whistler you just showed up and these guys were going and you hadn't been stepping in can you like basically start if the season was ideal how would you start one out do you start out just Straight airs, 180s, 360s, or do you just, like, what's your jump in? Do you have a technique, or do you just go have fun in the beginning of the year and build up? Yeah, I mean, I think the past 15 years, uh, it's almost been nonstop snowboarding. Yeah. It's normally, like, ju <laughs> July is maybe, like, the you can call it the holy month. You're not supposed to strap in <laughs> because then you let your body heal and not get uh, compression and hard landings, you know, but w especially like with, in Norway, we have glaciers and also f we fucking love snowboarding, <laughs> not just in Norway, 
but you want to go all the time. But if you have the opportunity to go, you'll go like, you know, spring sessions till mid-May, maybe end of May, you chill. And then June, you're on the glacier. Uh, July, you chill, then it's New Zealand. And then it's the glaciers in Europe. And then it's winter, you know. Wow, 15 years nonstop. Pretty much, yeah. So it's been a lot of snowboarding and a lot of fun, but that's kind of uh, how you, yeah, that's kind of how you, what you got to do now if you're going to compete and if you're going to, I mean, it's still, it's also fun. I wouldn't do it if I didn't want to snowboard in June. I would chill, but it's when it's like slushy, all your friends are there, you're camping, jumping in the lake. At that point, you're not necessarily there train or we never like think that we're going to train. The only time we're training is prior to a contest when you actually have a two hour slot in the course and you got to figure your shit out. Yeah. But the rest of the time it's like, Oh, it's good today. We, we ride longer. Maybe you forget to eat, you know, because it's fun. Sometimes it's shitty. You go have a coffee or go down. Uh, when you were younger, you would ride all the time because you didn't give a shit if it was raining or (laughs) (laughs) so just, we just snowboarded a lot. And, but this season I was kind of just, I don't know, just one of the seasons, just in the fall, I went to the glacier, it was shit weather. And then the next time I went, I, it was after street jam. So I had the street jam flu. (laughs) (laughs) And then, uh, we went to bold phase, which is, which was fun, but that was more of a learning experience. We didn't snowboard so much. And then kind of winter started off a little slow. Norway was good in January, but February was, I got some clips, but nothing major, but so we got got to step up in Alaska straight to AK and mm-hmm. <laughs> try to film a video part. Mm-hmm. You got it. Well, good stuff. Um, really fascinating. Uh, I'm going to get into a Patreon question. So our Patreon are our supporters. They pay so we can do the show and they're basically a sponsor of the show. So we're really thankful for them. And this uh, question comes from Tahoe Roger. And uh, this is a good segue into kind of maybe your your roots as a as a kid growing up. But how many hours a week did you spend riding growing up? Would you say you followed the ten thousand hour rule to mastery before turning pro? Which I I think that's a um, yeah. Out, out, uh, what's the outliers? Malcolm Gladwell book, I think. But yeah, yeah. So Tahoe Rogers, right? Uh, Tahoe Roger, yeah. Thanks for the question. Yeah. It, it's a good question. Uh, definitely spent <laughs> a whole bunch of hours. Uh, that's the that's the good thing about coming from a you can call shitty resort, like a small <laughs> little hill with one T bar. Is that it's night riding every day. Uh, so we rode every day, hundreds of laps, and uh, didn't matter. Like it was rainy. Didn't matter. We went out. There was no jumps. We built a jump. Mm. We were built a. We we were sliding on the fence of the cafeteria, like anything. We were just like figuring it out. And we were a bunch of kids that were on the same page, you know. So like, you could go to this hill any day. You didn't have to call. Are you gonna be there? You know. At that time, we didn't have cell phones, so you would call on your home phone, you know. But you would just go, and then Alec would be there. Simon Neraki, Trim Nurgård, maybe Danny Larson would be there at some point, you know. Many more. Jesse Blackwell. A lot of people. And, uh, yeah, we rode, we rode in... What's the name of the resort? 
Kirkebakken. I'm not going to try to repeat yeah. Kirkebakken. Yeah. A lot of people are from that little hill. Yeah. Is it right outside of Oslo or is it? Yeah, right outside, like half an hour. Yeah. Uh, and I grew up, I could see the the hill from, uh, we had to drive there, but I could see it from, I could see, I, I would run on this bridge next to our house every day in the fall and see if they started the snow guns. Just to, like, oh. Yeah. But yeah. Tens of thousands of hours, like until it closed, I would I would come home and fall asleep in the hallway, and my mom had to take my boots off and put me <laughs> to bed. <laughs> That's awesome. Like the 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 lift closed, we started we kept hiking, mm. and our parents were so supportive they would sit and wait, you know. Wow. Until they were like, ah, now we like it closed forty five minutes ago. Let's let's go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then earlier off air, you were kind of describing how it's like. Half ski racing, half snowboarding sounds really interesting. Yeah, the the hill was it's kind of splitted because the the lift was in the middle, and then the left side was uh, ski racing or Lucas left, and which is where Mons Roisland was hanging out. Yeah, I mean, probably at the time, because <laughs> <laughs> Mons is also from this hill. But <laughs> gotta give Mons an air horn. Yeah, yeah, uh, and. Uh, yeah, Mons was on the left side. The rest of us were on the right side. We love you, Mons. We're just kind of <laughs> roasting a little but, bit. But Mons, is, he's quite a few years younger. So at the time, he was like, now we're close to the same age. But at that time, he was a lot younger, you know? But yeah, it was the, the ski side and the freestyle side. And it wasn't like insane. Like some days, some seasons, the rails were there. Some seasons, they were, they were not. <laughs> some seasons, the cat driver had driven over the rail <laughs> some seasons it was good so but it was just i think that's also where a lot of our creativity came from mm. uh, just because we just had to figure it out it wasn't like a park made for you the jump was normally like a triangle you know and uh but it was it was fun we ended we yeah we couldn't stop snowboarding all right we're gonna take a quick break and talk to you guys about sunbump in 2010, Sunbomb started making products to protect their friends and families from the sun, specifically formulated to help protect those who live and love the sun. You know, a lot of times we don't have sun because uh, we're in the clouds waiting for the sun to break. Mm -hmm. But you can still get roasted like a Kenny Rogers chicken. Mm -hmm. One of the worst mistakes I've ever made is not putting on sunscreen when it's a cloudy day. Still get zorched. You might even get worst UV through the through the clouds. Mm -hmm. So I love using sunbum. I'm always able to grab it. I, I often forget my sunscreen, but luckily I'll see Joe Perkins or Spencer or one of these Blake Paul, and they'll just steal their sunbum. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they got a great team. You see Blake Paul repping sunbum, and I run the uh, SPF 50 mineral stick. It's like a little, almost like a little glue stick you keep mm -hmm. in your pocket. Mm -hmm. Keeps you protected from the sun. So if you're interested in picking up some Sunbomb, buy it at your local surf or snowboard shop. And, uh, yeah, be sure to support a company that supports snowboarding. Uh, great group of people over at Sunbomb, and thank you for supporting the show. All right, we're going to take a quick break and talk to you guys about Bub's Naturals. We love Bub's here at the Bomb Hole. You know, as you get older, you want to keep going. you got to get collagen in the system so you can keep boarding into your old age. But we're not talking about collagen today. We're talking about Bub's Brew. That's right, Bub started making coffee. They got coffee beans, the original blend. It's USDA organic, fair trade. Also, 
It's the first ever coffee bean to be Whole30 approved. Now, we love Bub's Naturals. Their mission is simple. Feel great, do good. And we got a special offer for you guys. So if you go to bubsnaturals.com and you use promo code BOMBHOLE, not only will you get 20% off, but you also get your own coffee mug with myself and Stony Buds on it. And it's a Bub's BOMBHOLE collab coffee mug for a limited time only. If you go to bubsnaturals.com, use promo code BOMBHOLE at checkout, you will get a free BOMBHOLE Bub's coffee mug with purchase so support the people that support the show and get yourself some Bubs Naturals. All right, we're going to get back to the show. We happen to have a guest question from Alec Ostring. How do you pronounce his last name? Ostring. Ostring. Big fan. Big fan. Big fan of Alec. Okay, here we go. Good morning, Bombhole. Big fan of the show, so I'm very excited for a Stola episode. Stola, I would love to hear you speak a little bit about your drive and your motivation. You've always snowboarded more than anybody else that I know. Always been hardworking and driven. And that's something that you just kind of kept on doing as you grew up as well. I don't really think there's been other people to win a TTR overall title and then go back home to set up rails and hike him after the local hill closes in the spring. So what motivated you back then and what is motivating you now 20 plus years later? Respect. Thank you, Alec. Um, yeah, a little bit about what we, we talked about earlier, motivation. Uh, definitely was just uh, I loved snowboarding, wanted to do it all the time. Uh, I think that mixed with having Alec around and having these friends that also was just as motivated as me. Uh, so it became easy, you know, to it just became natural for us to snowboard all the time uh, and uh, and put in the time. But I, yeah, for sure, I I also 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 always had the very competitive mindset since I was a kid. Like I wanted to be the fastest on the ice skates or cross country skiing or soccer. And I, I guess that drive kind of kept on going. So when it came to snowboarding, I did it most of the time just because it was fun. But I also was able to look at it as uh, sort of what you put in, you get out quite early. Also with my big brother, Frode, uh, uh, kind of leading me in the right direction. And because uh, and he was in the industry, photographer, like prior to what I, when I started snowboarding, he was a uh, semi-pro snowboarder at the and uh, yeah, he kind of just taught me that uh, the work ethic of it, and uh, and I just enjoyed it. It was kind of it's just who I am, I guess. Let's talk about your bro- older brother Fro, because I think about growing up. You know, we we grabbed Tindy out of the gate, and like Newt, and like <laughs> there was like you know, there's kind of like no grab zones and things that you learn along the way, and. And uh, things that are cool, like, I, you know, I used to run with, like, a handkerchief I had tied to my belt loop, which is just, like, it was just a, this is a bad look, really. But, like, I had, we didn't really, like, tapped in. So you must have had somebody, like, your brother must have been good because he was probably telling you, like, this, this is whack, this is cool, grab here, don't grab there. De- definitely. I think that helped out both me but also Alec. Like, uh, Alec and I, we grew up right next to each other. 
same neighborhood. Uh, so we were always together. And then Frodo kind of, uh, Frodo was a lot older than us. He was 16 years older than me. So he was like kind of superhero for us. And, uh, but he definitely taught us early, these grabs are no go, stinky grabs. You got to grab between the bindings or tip and tail. Uh, and uh, he had all the snowboard movies already. So we were in, in the basement watching VHS. So then we like got into it quite early. We didn't have to go get all these movies by ourselves because they were all in the basement when we started. What age are we talking here? Eight years old, I started. Eight, yeah. mm. I think Alex started around the same. He's a two years older than me, but around the same time. And, uh, yeah, he definitely showed us the way. And especially me, you know, like he he uh, took me on, on shoots. You know, he was on the shoot with Burton. I was able to ride there next to them on the dragon shoot. And uh, when he was on trips, like he would bring home, like I had Sean White's gloves. I had Heike Sorsa's skateboard. I had the J.P. Solberg, who was probably my favorite snowboarder at the time, had been to our house while... I was on summer vacation, <laughs> so we had signed a poster and put it in my room. I was so stoked. I think they shot, like, I'm not sure, but I think they shot a photo of him burning the rabbit suit or something. Wow. Like, they, they lit a soccer field on fire or something. Yeah. I, I don't know if I've seen the photo since, but I... For transcendence? Yeah. <laughs> that video part was amazing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and then he, like, as it went on, he started taking photos with us, took us into a snowboard video he was making, uh, and eventually became my manager too, you know, kept it in the family. And uh, for sure, like, a big part of my work ethic too, like we were shooting photos, and he's a damn good photographer, but he would always, like, would get a pretty sick photo, or I would never be able to see it. He never showed me, but he was like, Say it was a quarter pipe. It's like, oh, if you go half a meter bigger, it's going to be sick. Mm -hmm. I do that. It's like, oh, half a meter bigger might be a cover. <laughs> I do that. And then he's like, a little bigger. And I try to go bigger. And it's like, ah, it's all right. And then you never see the photo. And then maybe half a year later, he'll come with a magazine and just put it in front of you. And it's a photo of you in the magazine. Yeah. Was he, he was staff for Transworld? Yeah. Yeah, I remember back yeah. when I first met him. Uh, earlier, we know we talked a little bit about Alec. Um, you know, we're huge fans of Alec here at the show. So I was kind of wondering, you know, he lives in, in uh, Norway. I don't know if he'll hopefully he comes over and does a show. But I was wondering, you know, do you mind if we talk about Alec for the next three or four hours? Yeah. And just kind of like, just kind of. Definitely. Get, you're the closest person we know to him. So we're just trying to get some info about yeah, Alec. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> what do you want to know? <laughs> I mean, your favorite snowboarder's favorite snowboarder is most likely Alec Ostring. At least one of them. Dude, he's uh, unreal. Yeah. Probably the most talented I, I've seen. Uh, he was he was competing. He had good results in contests, but he never loved it. It was never for him. Like he would he would ride he wouldn't he would ride way gnarlier when it wasn't a competition. When a competition showed up, he would like freeze up and like thought he was yeah. It just didn't work out for him. Like obviously, sometimes he did great result. He has. Aaron style podiums, one locks open, and but he, when you speak to him now, like he, it was never for him, but he would was the guy who could do any trick when we were just riding. Like I don't know if anyone could beat him in a game of snow. Mm. Be hard. 
How do you, if how, if he wanted to win? How did he get so good <laughs> at skating too? Is what I'm wondering. He's always been skating. Yeah, like we were always skating when we were kids. Uh, and then pretty early he became so good that I just started just watching him instead of skating myself. I'd go to the skate park and I'd just watch Alex skate, and that's kind of how I stopped skating so much. But you said, uh, you said uh, oh yeah, riding. yeah, yeah. Alex, he's slow mo. I'm hundred percent sure. I don't know if he will tell you, but he he has superpowers. He can see slow mo. He, any like anything we did, he figured it out quite early. Like even like we were wrestling at one point, and he was beating Andreas Wieg's ass in wrestling. <laughs> and Andreas Wieg is the guy who breaks other people's arms in ha- arm wrestling, you know. <laughs> and little Alec, seventeen years old, could like have Andreas Wieg tap out slow mo. Season wow. slow mo. So sl- I like that saying. I haven't heard that, but I like that. So is that sort of a form of visualization, but live? I like- I mean, he just like gets it. Like, like if you if you try to fuck with him, he'll like grab your like he'll see it. Yeah, it's like, kind of Matrix level. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah, you don't fuck with. I don't. I don't fuck with Alec. It's a good segue <laughs> to uh, talk about RK One, maybe. Yeah. No RK One. Uh, back to our hometown, Rikin. Uh, so we grew up uh, in these like connected houses. I don't know what you call them. Flats, yeah. no? Is that what they're called? Well, it's like it's like one st- long stretched house and you have like each section mm-hmm. and you have like a tiny backyard. So like there's like multiple of these and there's like the one I live in, there's like a little field and then I can s- I could see from my bedroom, I could see Olaf's house and then like right next to that was Alex and uh all of us ended up uh, riding snowboard you know at least like me and Alex started quite early we're snowboarding Olaf got into it a little later uh Olaf's actually I think Olaf's first time snowboarding was we're doing a bomb drop from a garage respect Olaf showed up and I think that's the first time he strapped in bomb drop which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> they might have made a no, bomb hole that. in the bottom of that thing. Guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, we were just being kids, riding around. Uh, eventually, we all ended up uh, having sort of like a career in snowboarding or trying, me and Alec. And then Olaf started taking photos and started coming on trips. And, and then uh, I think... We had a, we had a crew first. Alec made a crew called Cash, the skateboard crew. We had like this little, we bought this little uh, shelf like drawer on a secondhand market, and we put it in the parking uh, area and where we lived. And it's the Cash curb. Alec would do like blunt slides and stuff. We would film and and then it eventually, I think it was Alec who wrote on his skateboard, like RK and then the N, which is kind of like a short version of Rikin, which is our hometown. And then that turned into a, a one sign. Like, I don't know when we when that happened, but we all just started riding it around. And then one day we were just riding the Oslo Resort and we were filming and then that turned into RK1 at it. And then it turned into a crew and then Land happened to be there at the same time and Land, Became part of the crew, 
and uh, we kept making some more videos because it, it was pretty successful. And uh, then Torger obviously made it into the crew because he was our bro, you know, we were traveling around. And and then Olaf's sister made the logo. And uh, it kind of just, it just happened because it was just what we were doing. And then Olaf was a magician behind the camera and the editing and picking songs and it was just we were just snowboarding and it turned into rk1 have you and seen mikey the rk1 edits went used to go crazy on the internet yeah it might have been during my uh 10-year retirement mm. i have to go deep yeah now. i'm excited it's v- vimeo out. days yeah mm-hmm. yep vimeo yeah yep. yeah yeah i I, lo- I was lost for vimeo i went from vhs to youtube yeah <laughs> it's kind of hard to <laughs> to find them on vimeo now it's pretty hard to, g- to google it vimeo is definitely an interesting wormhole to go down these yeah. days yeah um and hey by uh, with talking about it i brought i found Whoa, one in my bag amazing wow they're kind of rare nowadays we'll throw that on the set yeah, it's for you throw that behind set. you and put it get it some love yeah, on, the, yeah. on the studio i don't even know if uh any of the other guys has any anymore, so it might be the last. Wow! This is, wow! I this need is, to remake. Yeah, this yeah. is going to be um, basically in a museum at some mm-hmm. point. Now, I was kind of thinking about uh, going back to your fundamentals, and when I met you, I think it was probably fifteen-ish. But you're a half-pipe kid. Um, yeah. What's up? Why did you? I mean, you grew up on a mountain with no half-pipe. Why did you choose half-pipe? We actually had a half-pipe. Oh, you did. Tiny, tiny half-pipe. Okay. Uh, which some season there was a half pipe, some piece seasons not. But at the end, when I was competing in half pipe, there was no half pipe there. But uh, I was never. I don't think I was ever a half pipe rider. I just happened to figure out how to ride half pipes <laughs> during competition. <laughs> and then at the time, that's where. Uh, yeah, it just happened to be in the competitions, and then I figured it out. Uh, obviously, I had fun riding it, and then Olympics came up. Like I, like the national team started getting an eye for me at fourteen, fifteen. Like in Vancouver Olympics was coming up, and then I think when we met was maybe Mount Hood. Yep. Uh, so that was like the year prior. So obviously, I went there with my brother, and we're kind of on a mission to try to make it. You know, yeah. see if I could to get my tricks together and like uh make the olympic team uh and i did uh at 16 and after that i think and yeah because there was no slope style at the time in in the contest and the national team didn't have a slope style team uh and after that i kind of just kept riding half pipe but mostly we had like maybe a new zealand camp we went to maybe I think Park City we were before Olympics. But most of the time I was learning my stuff in the practice before the contest mm. because we didn't have pipes otherwise. And I would, I would maybe choose to ride the jumps. So it kind of just, I just kind of got like, somehow ended up riding half pipes a lot. Mm. But I think I was a more of a jumper. That's really interesting be able to transition from the jumps and just learn in practice and some of the other competitors i'm assuming i mean they're just riding half pipe yeah no uh i think at the time when i started it was a bit more uh everybody rode everything 
like at this time I I think it was still like the TTR overall was like the the top the top thing to win when I started and uh everybody was still kind of doing it we would like I remember when we were kids we would sign up for uh at the time European Open Burton European Open and it would be like nowadays it's hard to make it com- competition you got to go through national teams and stuff but at the time you would sign up online and they would pick out like 200 guys like one year you would maybe not make it the next like you were hoping to make it even to junior jams and at that time like all the kids were riding from if you made it from pre-qualifiers to finals in slope cell and half pipe and i think it was 10 days straight competing but at that time you were so young you full of energy yeah loving it and yeah. getting, getting to meet people from all over the world probably making yeah. friendships yeah Remember I met good. Sage Cotsenberg? Yeah. He had an American flag jacket. <laughs> Quicksilver jacket. Long yeah. hair. We were probably like 14, <laughs> 13. He had a beard already. <laughs> yeah. And uh, all, all the kids, yeah, I was, yeah, and ever since we've been friends, like everyone. I'd say, I think snowboarding is a very, even like all around, you know, it's, you make friends everywhere from contests to wherever you go. Like we, we have the same interests, you know, we're the same people. I want to get into some trick nerd stuff too because I love watching you snowboard. And I notice that like half pipe riders, at least the people that come from half pipe, almost have a different way of spinning. Like um, if you watch Ar- Arthur Longo, for example, he like it. It's like this really pronounced pop, and then the spin starts. Mm. And in half pipe, if you notice how people go off, you you can't pre spin in half pipe or you'll die. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so I guess kind of wanted to see if you want to speak on your half pipe fundamentals helping did it did it help your jumping for sure i think i think like yeah like we had the little half pipe at home uh and i think it definitely helped me a lot on like my snowboarding skills edge to edge riding like actually like when you're in the park now and you see like some something that could be a transition i kind of get dragged towards that Rather than jumping down a cliff, I rather want to come from the side and hit it like a transition. Uh, definitely helped that way. I think, as far as like keeping your edge uh, spinning, um, for sure. But I'm also like a guy who can tend to pre-spin sometimes on certain tricks, uh, depending on the trick. But I I think it definitely helped me on my overall snowboarding and like how I my creativity or how my mind looks at the whole mountain Mm, to be able to ride kind of anything or like look at anything as something you can ride Mm -hmm. i'm thinking quick too i'm thinking half pipe is just so back to back like yeah if you're just a jumper you can just hit this jump you can pull out at any time you can pull out in the pipe too but it's so quick yeah i think with free riding it might be a nice Thing. Also, the, the thing you mentioned too is like the non-linear factor. Like slope style is straight down, whereas yeah. transition is like non-linear. It's like left, right, sideways. Yeah, and now especially with the <coughs> big pipes, it's like if you haven't been in a big pipe for a while and you drop in, and you it's like a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. You're, like your your brain brain is just shaking when you get to the bottom if you haven't mm-hmm. done it for a while, and then and then you ease into it. But it's definitely like holding your edge and like a lot of force. Uh, I mean, you get that force if there's a heavy compression on the jump too but 
and the half pipe is just straight force on mm -hmm. your edge the whole time. And nowadays, when like these guys, are you one of those guys? I thought at the time like nobody can go bigger than Sean. Mm -hmm. Sean went massive, but now these guys are going even bigger, and that energy that goes into that is insane. Like it, you can't see it on, for example, Ayumo, he's chilling, but his muscles are probably like flexing like crazy in their boots there, you know, just to keep the board stable on that force. Maybe it's a little bumpy too, you know? Yeah. It, yeah, you wouldn't know until you, you go and hit high speed in the pipe. No one's like, going to know what that feels like. Yeah, no one's going to know what that feels like. I'm never going to know what it feels like to be Ayumu. <laughs> No, Unless I get in like a fighter jet, basically. I mean, no, I'll never know. Twenty-five, six. How big is he going now? It's huge. Yeah, I mean, bigger than. That. I mean, some of the Beautiful. most. I mean, people forget Travis Rice was a half pipe. Yeah. Like watching him even spin off cliffs in AK, you can like what you're talking about, like the straight, and then spinning once he's off. It mm -hmm. is a half pipe thing. There's I've been punished in that yeah. half pipe. Yeah. Trying to. Spin early. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have yeah. to spin. And there's a changing of a guards at some point because especially in regards to backside spinning, this is like some real trick nerd stuff, but <laughs> watching uh, slope style contests evolve, um, you know, people used to arc a nice turn. Like, it, you know, you have like a nice C on the takeoff for, for spins. And I feel like Stale was kind of, you were on the forefront of kind of just going straight, like, or more straight not really boomerang hooking. And then I, I would notice that like you some you guys would somehow generate so much momentum off the like toe edge underneath your back foot. You like torsionally flex your board and then just zing backside and do fourteen forties and stuff. And you're just like, dude, this is it was like a changing in the guard, I felt like with fundamentals of backside spinning. You yeah. wanna speak on that at all? No, I mean the backside spin is uh it's been uh, my best trick and my worst trick, you know, from uh throughout my career uh but uh definitely i think i have like i have the more old way of doing it but i took it my way or i, I don't know i like i was more on edge like you said like loading up the spin mm -hmm. now they're maybe flipping it more so you don't have to like be so hard on your edge i mean some people are still spinning flat but when you're flat you have to dig your edge down so much so Certain times that would fuck you up because the takeoff was trashed, especially like if you looked at the contest at the time. Oh, like, like, oh, I'm sorry, sorry. I'm before you go on. Can you elaborate why you have to dig in your edge so much to spin flat as opposed to staying flat based and you can flip? Um, I think just like to to load up the energy and like your your, your weight over your your board. weight uh, distribution, you know. You have to do your setup turn, and you have to get all your weight on your toes while you're like loading up, and you just gah. okay. I'm so, getting some tricks here. Yeah, so, getting, so the the setup turn. Let's. I wanted to hear more about that. Yeah, <laughs> back, back it up even what's more. Going yeah. on? Well, let's talk. Okay, let's just talk about a 1440. Like, what's your role into that, or whatever trick backside? Yeah, in. I mean, so it's it's kind of like a and like that an creates S. energy, is what you're telling me. In a way. Okay. Yeah, so it's it's like the weight distribution, you know? Because mm -hmm. if you go too much on your... If you don't do the setup turn, you go that hard on your toes, you're probably going to fall over. Mm -hmm. So it's so you can, like, keep your weight on your toes while your body is, like, up. But everybody... The cool thing about snowboarding, too, is that if you look at everyone, 
most people have a little bit different technique. Maybe nowadays you you start seeing a bit more of the same because maybe on the airbags takeoffs you can't need a certain takeoff. You can't necessarily do it that way as much. But at uh, for me it was like a big S, you know. Mm-hmm. And then the other guys or some guys might be like flipping it a lot more. So you kind of like can you can kind of go more straight and then just kind of scratch off mm-hmm. kind of like yeah not necessarily off your tail off your yeah tail. off your tail or like off your toes but you're not on your edge like that you're more like Pop scratching off. out mm-hmm. off mm-hmm. which at some point i kind of also figured figured out when i did the actually a shitty topic because the backside 14 triple cork or whatever was kind of like my best trick and i did a lot of good contest result for that <laughs> and then from one year to the other i just lost that trick mm. i went from one season maybe falling twice in the whole year to the next season landing twice mm. and have not really been able to do it since mm. so i was like i don't know backside <laughs> fuck it's mm-hmm. too soon to, sorry to bring that up <laughs> no, no, no. this is no, a sore subject it's i don't know i don't know if it happened to you guys if you guys lost i lost everything <laughs> yes dude we're, you're talking about guys that just come on we're, there's not there's not a whole lot left really for I me i go straight i got yeah. a method yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, so that was that was tw- i think 2015 to 2016 is that repetition or was this cuz you didn't stop snowboarding no i this think this was just i don't know it's sometimes i feel like i was so good at it that I just it just didn't want me to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. So then I had to try figure out. I started spinning more flat. I started trying to figure out front side fourteens, cab fourteens, and I had to stick with the back twelve. Uh, it kind of sucked, but I kind of figured it but out. But the back twelves all day. Back twelve <laughs> can do on back twelve like f- from that technique, my technique. I can like back twelve almost like anything like super small but if i'm going to try back 16 it's like super fast 12 and then like like and then i could never like really figure out the 16 i did it sometimes but i never had it on lock which i never like understood i was like fuck how can i spin the 12 so fast on the small jump but i can't do the back 16 on the big jump Mm -hmm. so yeah it's a it's a, it's tricky, like fi- figuring out all the tricks, and and then, then you know, uh, maybe my motivation was more towards other types of tricks, filming tricks. But I was still in the contests, and yeah, backside kind of was always my best spin. And then after twenty fifteen, mm. but you won many a contest at that for that was like uh, was that do tour when it was three stops still or something like that? Maybe yeah, the Aaron Style Tour. Aaron Style Tour. Okay. Yeah, yeah. big. I was like it went from being bigger dude to not podiuming big air again almost from from losing that trick hmm. now i'm curious you kind of breezed over where you mentioned a uh, different technique on airbags because you obviously can't do a big arcing setup turn on bristles like a basic carpet you know so you've been part of the evolution of snowboarding no airbags you learn it to snow now people are learning everything in the off season in airbags tons of reps What's your what's your take on the airbag? Uh, <laughs> I mean, the best would be if it didn't exist for everyone, I think. Uh, but it is a great tool now, and 
if you're trying to compete right now, if you're not use if you're not using it, it's you're just in the beginning, yeah, it was like fuck that. We we're we got balls, we can do it, we're that's whack, you know. Which I was trying to be a part of too. Uh but at by the time like last year it was like fuck, it's just like if if you're gonna compete you and not use it, it's you might as well not compete, you know. Mm-hmm. Because these guys are doing the tricks all summer long and you can land on your head. I mean, you can also get injured on the airbag. But uh, I think it's... I think we spoke about it in the lift the other day. Like, I think it's killing the sport faster in the competition side of it because it helps you progress so much faster that we're going to reach the limit, mm. maybe, mm. before... Rather than we like kind of eased it out a little bit, people had to do it on snow. It was not like it. It allows a bit more gymnast uh, person to become a top dog in the competition, rather than having the mix of that and like being the the badass. I don't know. Being yeah. a snowboarder. Yeah. It. Yeah. A lot. Sometimes you see people who can ride down the the big air and do the craziest trick and then they can't turn properly or yeah i mean it's there now we're not going to get rid of it mm-hmm. but uh i think if we could reverse back in time and not make them it would be better you you also briefly said you know it's going to reach our demise faster because people are going to be doing those bigger rotations uh, faster than they would be otherwise. Do you feel like the 2100s and wherever this thing, this ship is heading and it may, might already be there uh, is going to be the demise of, of snowboarding? Of contest snowboarding. But I, I thought, you know, when Taurus ended the triple, <laughs> It was like, <coughs> whoa, is this even possible? And then we started figuring it out. But it was quite hard, you know? Like, we couldn't do it on the smallest jumps. And we were, like, always like, okay, quad, that's that's stupid. That's fucked up. Nobody, Maybe somebody will do it, but it's not going to become a normal thing. <laughs> it's not going to, like, your eyes might pop out and stuff, you know? But <laughs> now people are, <coughs> Marcus did a butter backs of 19 at X Games. Now, now I got to the point where it's just like uh, it, anything is possible. Yeah, they obviously figured out different ways of spinning. Like you can, you can see, like if you see back in time, like we were, <clears throat> we would have to like either go really flat or it was like a kind of like a axis, like triple axis. Now they kind of go into this like hyper spin when they kind of like lean back put the head back and then just like you're kind of in the same cork the whole time but a cork that doesn't slow you down because if you spin flat kind of like I said with the 12 it's like you get it fast but then it slows down Mm -hmm. I don't know like you need a a guy who knows that uh, mathematics and stuff to like uh, (laughs) maybe he knows why that is but now they're in this like one cork that they it just doesn't stop Mm -hmm. 
So having a bigger head will help you spin faster. <laughs> yeah. It's like a gyroscope. It's a gyroscope. Yeah. yeah. Maybe they start like yeah. putting weights in on their, their helmet. Like mm-hmm. this like 30 yeah. pound helmet. It, you also notice it's almost like they go off the jump and then like once they grab, like um then all of a sudden it sends them into the gyroscope. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it's not like they it's like pop and then gyroscope once they grab. Yeah. I mean it it depends on the grab, but the grab is when you get to that level and th- those type of spins, your grab becomes your gas pedal. Hmm. Like, the harder you, like, the f- more force you drag the boards toward mm-hmm. you with t- tweaking or doing the grab, depending on the tweak, obviously, but that creates, like, back to the physics, somewhat that just makes you spin faster. What's the fastest spinning grab for you? Like I've seen Noah Selaznick back in the day used to do back seven tails. Yeah, he would grab it when he would pull up. Yeah, spin really quick. That's definitely one of them. Yeah, I like in the half pipe, for example, when they did front tens, cab tens with tail and nose. You know, like at a cab ten in the half pipe, you can all you can go off like a cab seven, hmm. but then. You reach the grab, and as soon as you drag that, you're 1080. Yeah, like Danny Cass was kind of yeah. pioneer of that. And the same, like, on jumps. But, like, sometimes, like, I think nose or tail is probably the one you can spin the fastest. But when you go into that tweak up yeah. here, yeah. it's, like, the ugliest at the <laughs> same time. If you bad. bend your knee, it's not the best. <laughs> but if you tweak it, like, in my opinion, like, I don't know the word for it, but if you like tweak it differently, it's, it might be the coolest looking mm-hmm. trick. Yeah. So that grab can be the worst and the best. Big if I was a judge, you know. Yeah. But then maybe the judges they they have a nowadays maybe in this I don't know they have like maybe a rule book. If you grab that grab, you get so many points, you know. It's just so many ways you can do it. But yeah, I, I for me like it what that is. Relevant is like a lot when I spin frontside, like a frontside 10. If I'm a little slow, I can just tweak the indie. Mm-hmm. It's like my gas pedal. You're one of the only that. frontside indie guys, though, like that spins like frontside, and everybody else seems melon or I don't know, yeah, or a mute, like for you know, a lot of mutes. But I feel like there's not that much people that, like you with your gas pedal <laughs> in the indie on the frontside spins. And the, most people flip more, you know? Yeah. I'm more of a flat spinner. I, I've done the the corks, but I, I just never, it was, that was just me. It's more comfortable for me. Uh, I don't know, that that was the grab for me. We're all different. That's yeah. what, that's what makes snowboarding somewhat unique to, I mean, everyone's different in other sports too, but we can actually like showcase that with our tricks. Mm-hmm. Mm. I like this conversation around style because he did mention, you know, when you do the tail grab and you bend your knee and you bring it up by your ear, and I've definitely done that too, by, but then it's like a, a mistake, you know? Like when I tried to learn the backside 14 nose grab, that happened sometimes. And like at X Games one time I did it, I was like, fuck, I <laughs> wish I didn't, like I hope nobody saw that. <laughs> nobody describe, saw that on X Games. Describe that feeling because we've all been there, but like I've I, on a big stage, I've done it in front of my friends and been like, ooh, yeah, that grab, ooh. Uh, four of my friends saw I this. Do How all, does it feel do when it all there's time still. Yeah. five million people or twenty million people watching? That must suck. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but you're 
at one point like you're when you're competing a lot some people are really good at doing it for themselves and like yeah. like Danny Davis in the half pipe he did his own runs and mm-hmm. eventually he got rewarded for mm-hmm. it you know but sometimes when you're there you're like you have to like you're there to win you have to yeah. please the judges sometimes it sucks you know like one time I was doing I think it was a I had to do figure out a way to do a better rail trick at the US Open and did switchboards like underflip and we were always talking shit about that trick but I just like was hunting points you know and afterwards like, should have done something else, you know, yeah. for my soul. But yeah, but it was trying, the contest. You're, you're and there then, to win. Yeah. yeah, and then you go film, and you then you you care about. Yeah, I mean, you try to find the right balance. Yeah, it's not like you only do the easiest. But yeah, there's so many ways of doing tricks. So it's all personal uh, to what you like, you know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I, this is a question because we brought up rails. I mean, I've spent part of my career with rails and but then i watch the kids in these slope style runs do these insane rail tricks and you don't really see a lot of these guys in the streets filming those same tricks but i'm like wow those skills are gnarly um does that ever translate to like you know i mean you know what i'm saying chris like some of these yeah totally it just blows me away what they're doing and I'm like, wow, that that could just if this kid showed up in the streets doing this, it could be next level for sure. Yeah. I mean, you have you have those guys too, yeah. Like <clears throat> Brand Davis, for example, you know, who's always one of the best uh, at rails in competition. Yeah. And like, did you see the the latest over yonder when yeah. they did the street? Like, he's Ripping. insane. Mm-hmm. Like, same with Kyle, mm-hmm. Darcy Sharp, yeah, uh, and uh, Torstein, yeah. Winkleman, yeah. yeah. So there, there's for sure. It's an interesting culture yeah. mix there, though. It's totally. Like, I have an unpopular take. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say. I've, I've always said this too. And you know, the core lords mm-hmm. come at me sideways for this. Well, they're gonna hate. <laughs> and and hate. but I've always said, I'm like, dude, have you ever been to like an X Games or do tour and watched practice or watch yeah. these guys ride? They're they're better than than everybody. And I've always said when it comes to video parts, like all those contests, people could could do your your trick in your video part like in a quarter of the amount of tries in 10 tries and it would be so easy for them to go do what you do just because they're they're so good that's my that was my theory and granted it's is not received well amongst the core lords in the streets Mm -hmm. i will say but i do think there's also a lot of facets of of style and and trick selection and things like that that play a factor but but as far as technically doing the trick technically they can fucking they can do any trick in your bag yeah it's crazy. and they can do it in two tries yeah i'm always yeah, blown trick away selection it. is a key word there though like we have uh, for sure like there's like now you see dusty hendrickson doing backlip pretzels in a slope saw run you see uh other people doing switch backlips in a pretzel in a slope saw run then you start okay these guys can but they're also riding street you know mm-hmm. but the other tricks maybe we can show up in the street with with the or it's slope style guys is definitely like if it's like bigger gaps and stuff because that's what we do at X Games and stuff and and you kind of for me especially like I always had like my couple good tricks that I would be pretty good at like a back one I could do most of the time and a hard way cab two and my contest tricks yeah and if I had to do that in the street it would be if it was on the right rail you know. I could do them pretty fast, yeah. but 
if I was going to do a nose press frontside 360, I would be struggling, you know? Yeah. Like, there's different trick selections. and But also, like, I've, like if it's bigger stuff, we also, like, tend to... I remember I rode a street spot with Len, and we rode this, like, kind of tall rail, and I was on a kind of stiff board, so I was able to land, you know, while people... Maybe you're used to a softer board, and he would nail the trick, but it would slip out because the board was soft. So... It's just different styles of riding, and some people are riding in that style in the contest too. And some people in the street are riding maybe more big stuff like a stop style rider would do. Mm-hmm. So we're all different. That's yeah. why it's cool. Yeah. If we all rode similar, it would be kind of boring. Yeah. Mm. I was listening to you on another podcast talking about style, and you mentioned, I think you used the word body mechanics. Yeah, I think you said body. It's like body mechanics or something. I could yeah. be butchering. We're something. built differently, though. Yeah, I guess like we're it's similar, but we're we're all different. Well, we have one is taller, one is shorter, one is stronger, one is faster. That kind of see that in their style too. Mm-hmm. But then you have like some people are maybe like normally slow and stiff, but then they get on a snow where they look like yoga teacher all of a sudden you know mm-hmm. but then snowboard is the right element to find their yoga teacher i guess i don't know mm-hmm. yeah i mean there's certain riders i'd like to emulate which i'll never be able to do it just my body type yeah um i'm never gonna ride like like blake and can and cummins to me kind of r- ride similarly out of things yeah but they're so skinny and tall and light light on their feet i'm yeah. just a little monster you're like <laughs> more of a power rider me like a good mix attack you attack, attack. Yeah. that's your thing yeah. like you and Rene both kind of attack yeah. the mountain like you attack. get low and like power you just like sprock mm-hmm. yeah always yeah that was how we it's just how we figured it out i yeah. guess yeah and i and think it's a, it is a body type thing too yeah. then, then your style if, if you think and take like for example like sorry to interrupt you oh, my good. bad mike but think about Rene, Stolle, they're low. They attack the mountain. They're on edge constantly. Then there's like snowboarders that stand up really tall, like uh, Louis Parody, mm-hmm. one yeah. of my favorite snowboarders ever. Mm-hmm. But Definitely, he stands up mm-hmm. tall on everything. You know, just interesting. You know? And, and and sometimes it's in your favor, and sometimes not. Like I'm, like you said, low, like kind of like bent bent down with my upper body sometimes, and then at sometimes I had to like remind myself to like stand up. You know. Especially if it was like a bumpy Aaron style kicker. Because if I was like down low, I would maybe hit those bumps and I would compress. Mm-hmm. So I would have to remember to stand up tall. And then for other, maybe if you're doing a heavy turn, then it's in your favor, leaning forward and being in, in the weight, you know? It's, mm-hmm. I don't, it's just so. If you get into like full geek and like start like <laughs> measuring, okay, he's. Shoe size is this. His <laughs> his posture is like this, and yeah. I don't know. It's a, it's we're all yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, when I would grow up, I definitely tried to emulate certain people. Yeah. Who were the people that you think popped out early, early as your people? Let's say you wanted to learn a method like this person or spin like this person. Yeah. Not for sure. Was early days like we had a kind of a local hero in our mountain too, mm-hmm. called Frederick Scuderi. Mm-hmm. This was, yeah. 
this was like prior to you know social media and like we had the videos but but at the time like they were so far-fetched you know Mm -hmm. and like nowadays you can watch people on social media every day to find inspiration but we had like our he was our local hero there he was sponsored he was like had a couple different jackets would switch you know did the best (laughs) tricks so like we would look up to him and then obviously uh Mikkel Bang because he was like sometimes he would show up in the resort and he was like he's three years older than me and I would like cut out the newspaper articles about him and put him on my wall and at one time I remember I got to take the 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 tea bar with him I just talked his brains out probably like <laughs> blah, 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 blah. and I can still remember that like if if I ever take a tea bar with someone ask me like a kid or something I, I get that feeling like when I was there like it's it meant so much to me at the time and yeah so definitely local hero Mikkel Bang JP Solberg and yeah. Ero Etara was like yeah. they were like my favorites at the time and and then like you know riding with Alec and our friend group we kind of created our own way yeah by like challenging each other because we were like same level maybe one is better at this and that like whoever gets this first gets a coca-cola at the gas station or like a box of fries uh so we had like i think we call it like coca-cola challenge or something yeah <laughs> at i the think time. we used to throw hundos around on the spots how about you chris like, I, I don't think so first I, try. I used to just uh bet like like you said, you know, skating more than snowboarding, but like, I bet I can three flip the step up before you loser has to buy the other person the Gatorade. Yeah, that's yeah. Like, that was our gambling. But one thing you just I wanted to highlight too that's really cool. Sorry to oh, to please. hijack that. Uh, you were mentioning going up the chairlift with Mickle Bang, talking his ear off, and then being like, "Oh, that uh, what if that kid comes to me? I'm gonna remember how that felt, and I'm gonna be cool." We were just at uh, Park City, and there was a kid that showed up, and he had. In his buzzed haircut, he did a skull, which is like Stale's Oakley logo is a skull and crossbones. And the kid did it in his head. He wow. buzzed it in there. <laughs> so cool. let's give that homie an air yeah. horn because he was ripping. And he did a sick back three front one off yeah. on the tube. He was shredding. Awesome. Yeah. But that was just like, how cool is that? You're talking about that story about going up the chairlift with Mickle, and then you now here you are years later, and there's kids yeah. buzz cutting their it's logo crazy how in your head. Yeah. It went fast too, you know. Like you, I feel like I was a kid half a year ago. You're still, still a kid, as a, I'm still a kid, but <laughs> but like I was the youngest, you know. Yeah. Uh, no, it's super cool. Always uh, means a lot, definitely. Mm-hmm. All right, we're gonna get into uh, run through a wall smelling salts here. Uh, have you ever smacked one of these? No, never. All right, here, take this. I've seen I've seen you wake up Torger with it before. Yep, we did. Where was that? Bald face Abby training. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so you squeeze it, it pops, and it's good for the uh, good for the nostrils. Go Both, ahead. just yeah, just go, yeah, just give it a hard. Of one hand or a two hand snap. I'm a one hand snapper. Just okay. give it a I don't pinch. Know. I'll just do two. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he got in there. He got in there deep. <laughs> Whoa! <coughs> oh my god! Oh fuck! That one's strong. Why did I do that? Oh, I feel God. like it's on my hands. Wait, it's in my eyes. Ah, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Holy shit! That was like a, I haven't got one like that in a minute. It's a, str- it's a strong batch, Mike. 
It's a strong batch. Mine's like <laughs> got some liquid coming out. Yeah. So that's a uh, run not, through a wall of smelling salts. Not bad. Yeah, available. That's available at bombhole.com. What we're really trying to do here, Stale, is you know, there's a, you see in the space you have Monster Energy Drink, you have Red Bull, you know, Rockstar, etc. We're really coming after that that market. We want run through a wall smelling salts. To, we're we're coming after Red Bull and we're coming after Monster, and uh, we want you know, you know, um, take for example, you know, Mark McMorris, top of the run. We buy him out of his Red Bull contract. He's mm-hmm. just run through a wall smelling salts helmet. That'd be Top nice. How, style. What would it look like? Gold. Gold helmet. Gold. Yeah, like I all gold. I think he should actually have like a kind of like a microphone that comes in front, but it's just the smelling salt the whole time <laughs> while he's hitting the jump. <laughs> in between like, each. Yeah, like those. Uh, like, <sighs> yeah. Like the Tony the Tony Robbins mic that he uses yeah, yeah, for yeah. those speed. But like, it's but a it's smelling salt. Smelling salt, yeah. And he just like pops that. it before every Yeah, hit. I like that. That's good. That's I feel good now. Who's your agent? Let's compete. Who's your agent? Uh, so I'm doing my own stuff now. Okay. Fro- Froda was uh, mm. helping me, and then now he's uh, he got into art. Oh, his art's incredible. So he's uh, just drawing. He doesn't have time for. Mm. But I also grew older. And like now, I understand it. I can figure it out myself. Awesome. Well, we happen to have a guest. So question. I can I can give you my email afterwards. Oh yeah, <laughs> do it. <laughs> Let's do it. We'll uh, slide you over a contract. We happen to have a guest question from none other than... Still, you're still rocking it, huh? Torger. This is from Torger Bergen. Torger. Torger. New Brighton local. Yeah. Here we go. Buds, Diesel, it is Torger, and I am very excited that you have my boy Stale in the booth. Um, Can't wait to hear the episode. And Stale, I am wondering... I know you as a pretty calm and collected and patient person, but um, what gets you going? What's the most annoying thing in your life? Thanks, guys. Have a good one. That's a great question. <clears throat> what annoys you? Yeah. I feel like I'm pretty leveled, but uh, uh, Torger, he, 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 can, he knows the trick. He can, obviously, snoring sucks. People are snoring. You can't sleep. Uh, Torger repeating what you're saying for a whole day. He's that, done that. That has happened when you were trying to do shit. He gets in that mood like once a year. For example, I I need I don't follow really. Like we're, I don't know. I we're doing some something and trying to figure out driving the car. Where where are we going? Blah blah blah. And he just puts his like shitty voice and just repeats what you're saying when you're asking him questions trying to figure out shit it doesn't happen too much it's like the little brother thing mm. i mean every little brother yeah done that. and he's my he's older than me he's my big brother i guess <laughs> <laughs> and people walking slowly over the road in crosswalks that mm-hmm. sucks mm-hmm. Spe- like, time. especially young kids mm-hmm. like or younger younger people not kids but like old people i get it they get the pass yeah but with it, especially on your when phone. On their phone, yeah. yeah, the phone thing that kills me. Other than that, I'm pretty chill. I noticed you mentioned like switchboard side underflips. That seemed like they annoy you a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, when I did it, hmm. p- other people do it. I'm. It's a great. I don't topic. care too much. It's a great topic, Mike. Nothing annoys me, Chris. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're perfectly, <laughs> perfectly calm. After hitting a smelling salt, you're calm and collected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hit it again. You know, we we forgot to uh, talk about is Arctic Challenge at age 13. Yeah. How was it? Is that the one with the sword? Yep. Yep. 
I think the first first one I did, I was like a mascot. So it's like pre forerunner. Uh and I got to meet all the the dudes. Like Travis, uh Terrier, yeah. Andy Finch. Yeah. Like I don't even I it's all of them. All of them used to be at uh Arctic Challenge. And little thirteen year old Stale dropping into a ten meter high ice wall of a quarter pipe. It was pretty pretty cool. Yeah. I think I don't know if it was the first year I was there or the second that Terry beat the record. Nine point eight meter, I think. Yeah. Should have just it should just should have just said ten. Just got it out of the way, given out the, the gold Oakley watch and moved on. But uh it was so close to just like that's still the record, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I, it kept going a few more years. They did the, those events, and then they kind of stopped doing the quarter pipes. I think it was too too gnarly, dude. Like, they were always pure ice, like glacier ice. Mm-hmm. But at that time, for me, it was sick. Was it a straight-in hip quarter pipe? Yeah. It's not like a hip at all. It's just straight-in quarter pipe. You, you go down the landing of a ski-jumping hill. Yeah. Pretty much straight down. Yep. Because I was like 10 kilos at the time. <laughs> Jacket flapping. <laughs> yeah. Barely making it over yeah. the lip. Yeah. But uh, no, it was, yeah, that was crazy experience being able to, Terry inviting me to that and uh, helping me out with that and uh, just letting me ride the scene and meet all my heroes. It yeah. was, it's like when, we mentioned we talked or Sage mentioned it when we were taking the lift the other day. I was, I, I hadn't even thought about talking about that because I so far, I didn't remember it. There's so much things, but that's like probably, like one of the most. Like, how do you say it? Biggest mark in my yeah. Career. Like, because yep. it just went from riding my home resort to all of a sudden being part of Arctic Challenge. Like a pivotal moment. Yeah. Kind of. And then rocket. like, all of a sudden like, I was. The kid, in a way, I guess, mm-hmm. and got to from there go to European Open and actually wasn't scared of talking to these people because I'd met them, you know. Yeah. So if I if I saw them, it was like it's some sort of comfort, you know, because I I I became like the little brother role, you know. Mm-hmm. I wasn't scared of talking to you guys. So now it was sick. Quarter pipes are. The best and the worst. If they're slushy, they're the best. If they're icy, they're gnarly, <laughs> dude. Yeah, I mean, I, one thing I always... I haven't hit one for a while, but I, I remember my mind hitting a quarter pipe. It always felt like I had to go two times faster than my brain wanted me to go. Uh, is that still the, is that the same for you guys? I mean, like... Yeah. You kind of... Unless you, like... You could see... Terrier, like how he did it, how low he was sitting and like leaning back, he he would like kind of absorb the transition and the compression rather than if you're going so fast and you're riding more like you would do normally, you kind of like crash into yeah. the you lose a lot of your speed. Yeah. So going like ten meters and it's straighter, you need to have pretty crazy technique. Mm-hmm. Like maybe if you went chuck flip, it would be easier, but then again. You might go Good one luck. and a half. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's they were. I did a lot of them, like f- 
like did the Arctic Challenge, and then Aaron Style used to have a quarter pipe, and O'Neill Evolution. Grand Prix had them too. Yeah, and they were they were sick, but they were like people got yeah smoked. Yeah, like Jack Mitrani's. Holy was shit! Was the snowmobile towing year? No, he that was Aaron Style oh, in Aaron Innsbruck. Innsbruck. Okay. Snowmobile towing, I don't know. That was a Grand Prix in Breck. They had a snowmobile okay. towing quarter pipe. Every week. Shit, yeah. yeah. But I, I, I can see why we don't do those in the winter. Like maybe in the spring. It would be, it would be sick if somebody like, fuck it, I'm going to build a 10-meter quarter pipe now and break the world record. Uh, I would love to see that. Who could do it? Who? Um, I mean, Ayumo maybe. Mm. But I... Raibu. Ayumo, Raibu... I think Sven could do it. Mm. Sven's what about the Sven's goose? Gnarly. What about the goose, Valentino Gusolini or whatever his name is? Prob- I mean, probably the pipe guys. A lot of them, maybe, but they're used to going. It's still like you know, you go sideways, mm-hmm. like the when you go when you hit the wall, like You're a half flat pipe, base, huh? But when, when you hit it like a half pipe hit, it becomes like way higher of a like your line becomes way longer than if you go straight mm-hmm. up, you know. Oh, you're saying it takes out the compression because you're cutting diagonally up the thing, yeah. so it makes it longer. I never thought about it like that. So all of a sudden, it's simple the, physics. The like, hit is maybe like what it, twenty-two foot, but it might be like it becomes higher because you go from here to here, yeah, rather than <clears throat> yeah. But totally. I think that's the point. Like what you were saying, he got low. He, Terry when he did it was low yeah. and back. If you stand up, you can almost literally like I've seen people face plant going up to a quarter. Pack. Some people got. <laughs> So people coming off the side of the quarter pipe. Mm-hmm. The G out. At one point, it was G like out. cut like this, you know? Like, I don't know, five, six meter in the air. Hit Oof. the deck. Then 10 meters down on the wow. ground. You're broke at that point. It's like, yeah. You're done. A lot of people got... Uh, but it was... That must have been sick. It was sick, yeah. yeah. All right, contest, contest world. You've won all this. Won the TTR. You won so much stuff. Yeah. X Games medals, all of it. Uh, Dew tours, I've seen you crush Dew tours. Let's talk cheddar biscuits. I know this guy's. This guy's earned <laughs> some. He's earned some financial gains. He's extremely humble. It's probably gonna make him really uncomfortable, <laughs> which is gonna be really fun for us. But like, he's give squirming. us give us like a good winning, like notable contest wins. Like, give us something to hold us over. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I I mean the. I never won the ones with the biggest prize money but it was like i had some really good seasons like the 2015 season was really good okay you're gonna need to give and me more specific <laughs> <laughs> i don't i think i podiumed <laughs> i it was one contest in podium that season so that was it's a good down payment on my apartment for sure nice. and i got like an aaron style ring that is i think if I ever get in trouble, I might. I'm, mm. That's like my backup. Nice. So, are you, <laughs> have you done a lot of media training to kind of figure out how to like maneuver your way from like giving us a solid answer on like money? You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if I look at that one, I might just tell you stop and <laughs> just joking. So, like, okay, how about like, what does someone win when they win the Aaron style? I Back I think end. at the time it was maybe like. Twenty yeah. th- thousand for first. Euros? Dollars. Dollars. Okay. Um 
20 and then it went like gradually down mm-hmm. and maybe i think the overall they did like the overall those two years yeah that which was maybe 50 on top of that nice. which so is things stacked up he had they, these little things it was a good up. yeah and then like th- it was more price money when i started than now the world cups now are I think like 12 for first. Mm-hmm. Damn. So if you don't have like mad support from your sponsors, you got to do pretty well in the contest to make just the travel expenses. Yeah. Uh, and that's why a lot of people write for the national teams is because like certain countries pay really well mm-hmm. uh, to ride for the national team. Like the government pays you to ride for the country, right? Like, yeah, or at least they... Some uh, it's different every country. Like some they seven to bucks. That's his program. Some some pay like some have like if you make top this you get this much as a scholarship or something you know and others might support your housing mm-hmm. like Norwegian team supports your housing but you buy lift tickets and planes. Yeah, uh, every bit helps. Though. At one point we had some more sponsors for the team and we we got a bit more like but. uh it's all different from nationalities. It's pretty crazy the Norwegian national team didn't have a sponsor this season with Marcus Cleveland and Mons Wild. being the two top dogs on, in, on the scene. Mm-hmm. And you have to fund all your... You almost have to fund your coach coming at some point almost. Wild. But then some years it's others. And some countries that are maybe not doing so well, but they have like really good support... But we had the cool thing for the national team in Norway is that it's uh, its own federation, board federation for skateboarding, snowboarding, and surfing. So hmm. it's controlled by our people. Yeah, that's unique. Not other people meeting up on the meetings and calling the shots and putting snowboarding in the wrong direction, I guess. I don't know. Hmm. So what happens with other countries? It's not FIS that controls that. Like you're I think depending on the country, but a lot of them are the snowboard federations are under the ski federations. Yeah. So mm-hmm. above your your guy, there's a ski, a ski guy. Racer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ski racer calling the shots. Yeah. Which is I mean kind of been the All right, we've heard we've talked about this on the show a million times. We're gonna go down this wormhole contests. Uh obviously snowboarding is in a situation where it's run by the federal international or federation of international ski skiing basically ski racing we're run by we're body we're governed by skiers which is uh why there's a world tour um the the world cups which you can't find a link to and it's just like and then mm-hmm. you have x games and it's fragmented and you have natural selection which is backcountry and there's like do tour but it, it's all this like there's like a few different contest series but nothing's cohesive and then FIS governs most of it, which is, so there's just kind of like, I just feel like the competitive snowboard scene, there's a lot of people that want to do great, but at the end of the day, if we're going to call a spade a spade, it, it's it's a train wreck, right? I think it's like, it's, it's kind a mess. of, it's a mess, right? So um, do you want to go down this wormhole? Like, do you have solutions? Do you have thoughts on it? Give us your two cents. I, I mean, I've been down this wormhole because I I was a part of, at one point, this rider group, trying to figure out how we change the tour for TTR at one point, like with Chas Goldemon in the front. Chas did a air horn. Yeah, huge air horn for Chas. He did a... 
so he kind of took charge because you know we're snowbirds, we're pretty young, like we don't answer emails. We're like it's hard to make shit happen, you know. And but he kind of like did that for everyone and tried to like have a writer group so we could speak to the contest and and make it better. And this happened like a couple of times and and at one point I was a part of it. Like it was me, Chas, Torstein, uh, Cheris de Buas, a, a few others. Like we went to Barcelona for the, the meeting and we tried to like help form this new tour, uh, which never really happened. And then last minute, they all of a sudden pushed it and then, but they didn't change anything. So it wasn't better, but. I I always had the vision for me and what I proposed was that we if we could make a tour where it's like it's inspired by surfing for sure but like every stop is unique to itself so every stop has a story mm-hmm. say uh and then and then the the biggest accomplishment is winning the overall so everybody follows till the end of the season because now maybe X Games is the biggest thing happening, and that's in January. After that, people don't give a shit because Mark won X Games. He's the boss, you know? I mean, people give a shit, but it's not like you're not keep on looking at it as like back in the days when Kevin Pears won the TTR World Tour and people like it was like Ticket to Ride and you made it to Arctic Challenge and whoever won won like a... I mean, it's nice if the, the guy wins a good prize purse because, one, he deserves it, but also that creates creates a lot of attention towards it, you know? Like, when you watch golf, you watch... Um, sometimes you watch because who's going to win a chunk of yeah. money, you know? Yeah. you don't, Maybe you don't care too much about this, what's going on, but who's going to win that almost, you know? That's how humans are, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But what I how, I... how I imagined it... Like we, I wasn't necessarily where we were going, but how I imagined it was like, say, Locks Open is very, would be known for transitions. It was, a, it would be a slope style sort of tour-ish, but it would be known. Locks would be known for transitions, maybe two jumps, transitions. Uh, have like, its own, uh, course-ish, and maybe, on this particular event, you would give wild card, out to person of transition maybe like Danny Davis would show up at this event and then the next event is maybe uh, a slope style course that's more rail driven maybe Haldor and Jed Anderson would get the wild card and mm-hmm. you would create all these stories and throughout the season maybe one is a big air maybe even one is a bank slalom and then like at the end of the tour you create the ultimate guy you know that's cool I like this. One course with big ass jumps. Yeah, too. We need yeah, like a veil session. <laughs> yeah. you know, like one four jumps, four one 80s. three. Yeah. So it's like there's always a story to tell, and maybe a different person will win because at some point we were riding slopes of course. It was a gap rail. It was a shootout rail. Three jumps, and same guy would win every time. Yeah. Same run. Yeah. So take away the, you know, make it a little more creative. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So I cater to different skill sets mm-hmm. and styles. Yeah. So I tr- I tried to like propose that, and we were we were it was like s- things were going on, like we were working on something exciting, and then I guess after summer and something didn't work out, and it was 
never launched, but then it was launched, but without. It was launched, but it was like a new name. I think it was Elite Tour, but it was. It was less than the one prior, yeah. you know. Yeah. So you can't launch a new product that's worse than the one before. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it, it, it's, yeah. it's frustrating too because you have natural selection, and they're even having a hard time finding funding, mm-hmm. and yeah. that's incredible. But I, when I think about actually, okay, we all know that Fist sucks ass, right? That's pretty pretty obvious. Every snowboarder just comes on the show is on the same page. We all don't like Fist, right? Yeah, I mean, they fucked it up back in the days, you know? We were on our own way, and then they came in and fucked it up. I'm sure older generations have more to say about that than me, but it's dribbled down on us. Totally. But the problem has been there. But the solution, I think it's like the only way that would work is you take all the agents, all the super agents, and you take them all and you put them on a board. And you, they, because it really, it's a financial issue, Mm -hmm. right? It's, it's like chasing down sponsors. And I'm sure there's logistics too, but, you know, I think about it's a, it's a solvable problem. And the reason why I think it's solvable is because half pipe and slope style at the Olympics, I, I remember like hearing the data and, it's like the second most watched event in in snowboard in in the whole Winter Olympics is like yeah, like it, after hockey finals af- yeah it's after amazing. hockey it's snowboarding and so it's like we because it, if it's an argument over eyeballs well the Olympics are gonna tell us that we we can get eyeballs mm-hmm. I think yeah even though it's a small sport in the grand scheme of things compared to F one or you know Supercross or something like that but well, it's just chaos how it's presented you know it's like everyone working against each other in a way. Rather than cooperating, making a... We're stronger together, you know? Yeah. If we had one tour, cooperating, uh, you go to the same place to li- <laughs> live stream every time. Yeah. <clears throat> I would compete in the contest and I didn't even know where my friends could watch it. Mm-hmm. How, how are we going to get views on this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's just like... Yeah, it was... Uh, it's just a mess. Yeah. We should start over. <laughs> Okay, <coughs> well, good stuff. Well, one one other contest thing before we uh, actually we got we got other contest stuff, but uh, we had a guest question. I really like this one. This one's from Rene Renacongas. Here we go. Morostole. I hope you're doing unbelievable over there. <laughs> and uh, I have a question for you. You've been killing it in the competitions for so many years. So, what is your favorite run and why? And also, if you can go through the tricks, that'd be awesome. So. Have a great time and uh, hope to see you soon. Much love. Wow. Thank you, Rene. Love you, little brother. Uh, that's a tough question. It's like I don't have the best memory on stuff like that. I kind of move on to the next, but <clears throat> there's uh, there's uh, many runs that have been done. <laughs> <laughs> if he's is he referring to my runs? Yeah, yeah like your favorite. What's your favorite run you've done over your career? Where you're like, damn, I re- that one meant a lot. Like maybe it was the last run. Yeah, climactic. I mean, I think, I think, when I so this one year, I think it was 2015, and I had been going so many years, just getting behind Mark McMorris. Every contest, like I could never beat that guy, you know. And then we went. We were, it was locks open, and I just like had to like, okay, I gotta, I gotta just ride my best. I, 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 it's time. 
I gotta get on top of the podium. Like, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta. He's my friend, but he. I was like, God damn it! I gotta beat him one time, you know. And <laughs> so, I can't remember the whole run, but I did a double crippler out of a side hit. Back twelve, probably cab twelve in the front ten at the time, or something like that, and the rail run. But it was just like sunny. It was nice, and then finally, I got him, you know. And I was on the podium with Mark and Torstein. Like they both had landed good runs, and like it just meant so much. So like that was like, it got it gave me that feeling of like I made it, you know. Mm-hmm. I, like because I had many years with a lot of third and second places, and that's kind of when I, I got a first, you know. Amazing. Um, we Never should been there. we should talk about um, Sochi. Sochi. Speaking of second places. Yeah. That must have been, I mean, Olympics, first first year slip styles in the Olympics, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Big-ass no. jumps. Big-ass jumps. Oh, dude, imagine seeing a, a contest go down in that course now. Yeah. It would be a shitload of spins. Yeah. You were jackers. Yeah. Oh, that was a sick course. Uh, and a cool, a sick experience. You know, the first time slope style and like i had i had already done one olympics but at that time in vancouver i was more like the young i was the youngest guy ever from norway to beat the olympics and like it was more of like i made it when i made it to olympics that was my goal when i came to sochi it was more like i'm here to to win or to to podium like that i'm one of the guys who can do it so it was like a total different experience but at the same time, I'd already been to one, so I didn't need to focus on like experiencing everything at the same time. You know, I was there to snowboard. I was there to. We weren't there for a long time either. We were like the first contest to to go, and then we left. But uh, that was sick experience, and coming home with a medal, landing the best run of my life. Uh, that was it for sure. Changed my life. That's amazing. Where does the metal live these days? It's in my parents' house. Right. Yeah. Most of my my medals from, like, back in the days are, are there. Yeah. I don't have too many in my place. Yeah. What boots were you wearing when you put down the second place run? Just out of curiosity, <laughs> I was just kind of, kind of wondering. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I remember. You don't remember the boot, the specific boot you were wearing? <laughs> you don't remember that? I think it was, I think it was some, some of the pro model boots. Possibly, Chris. <laughs> he was wearing uh, the, my 32 team threes when they just came out. But, uh, yeah, I was... Big reason why. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, you know, you, you know what was really cool, though, about that? Like, this is one thing I think is cool about the Olympics. Like, once every four years. And, like, <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of dumbass snowboarders out there. I hate to say this. But they're, they're like, they're like, you post something you're excited about, like the Olympics or watching it, and they're like, I don't watch the Olympics. I just, it's like, dude, who gives a shit? I don't care. Like, that's fine. Just keep that to yourself. I love, I love watching it, right? And I remember we were in, where is Sochi? What country is Sochi? Sorry, that's an ignorant question. Russia. Russia. It's in Russia. We were in Japan at the time. I don't know what the time difference was, but it was a weird time. We were watching it, the slopestyle runs in a hotel in like the middle of the night or something. It was like late night. I want to say it was like, maybe it was like two in the morning. We were stayed up to watch everybody's runs and like i just think that shit's cool like oh, we're watching the olympics yeah. and no matter where we are or whatever yeah. 
And uh, and you put it down, and it was a heater, and it's controversial. A lot of people uh, might say Stale took it. I mean, I'm I'm good friends with Sage, so I'm a, I got to stick by my guy. But uh, I could see the argument. Mm-hmm. What's your take on that? Me? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think uh, we both had good runs. Sage won. That's how it is. That's good media training right there. Mm-hmm. But I, th- I think the controversial was for sure maybe Europe was pushing for me. US was pushing pushing for Sage. But we both, we all, like all the, the whole podium and like even... Mark got third, right? Yeah, and Sven, Ford. Like we all had really good similar rents you know mm-hmm. from from day to another it could be s- swapped or you could, uh, have been, you could have been on a Wheaties box like Sage <laughs> I, I don't know uh, not that much uh, if you're from Norway you're like if you get a medal the uh, uh, cross country skiers next to you, you have like five golds from the same event so I think it was for the better that Sage won for sure mm-hmm. so you guys are chopped liver at snowboarders because it's like just cross country skiers rack them up over there or what What's yeah, the deal? I think we, I think Nor- Norway, the last few, have, we've taken like records of the most medals ever. With like, so, no, it's it's sick, but it's like, uh, it definitely wouldn't have been a media tour like that if you were from Norway. All right, Stolly, you know what it's time for? Yeah, no, yeah. You're a contest guy, okay, and... Uh, you have, but you filmed some video parts, so we're not letting you off the hook on this. It's time for name that video part. Name that video part. Name that video part is presented by the Icon Pass. Now, with the Icon Pass, they have access to over 50 of the best destinations in the world. And right now, we got some special springtime offers. Uh, prices go up $100 and promos go away on April 21st. So pick up your season pass now. After this, spring benefits go away, including renewal discounts of up to $100, savings of up to $200 on child passes, an APR for as low as 0% on a payment plan, and of course, immediate access to spring riding at up to 13 destinations. So basically, you buy a pass for next season, you'll have some spring access to 13 destinations including Big Bear, Snow Valley, Blue Mountain, Stratton, Sugarbush, Snowshoe, Steamboat, Mammoth, Palisades, Winter Park, Tromblant, Solitude, and Deer Valley. Icon Pass Travel is your one-stop shop for adventure. The new 23-24 pass holders buy before April 21st and save $100 U.S. on every vacation booked before May 5th, 2023. The good stuff is waiting. All right, let's get into Name That Video Part. Yeah. Confidence level, zero through one, Stolly. Zero through one. Zero through ten. <laughs> zero through one is also a good question. Yeah, zero through one. Zero through one, is what's w- your confidence level? Zero point five. Point five. So that would be a five in a zero to ten scale. Yeah. So he's, he's five. Five. Mid. Could go terrible. Could go really good. All right. Let's see. Let's see how the kid does. Here we go. Andreas Vig. Booyah. Congratulations. But the video, which video is it? 
Um, well, you can. I mean, you won. I shouldn't have said that. I should just say Andres Vig. Leave, you, leave you it at won. that. I'm, I'm gonna give you the <laughs> win, but I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let let's, you take a stab. Let's at leave it. it at that. Is it derelictic? No. Close. Yeah. You're in the right. You're you're like uh, you're, the detector is going off. You're picking up a signal. Dude, I, now I went bread and dead. I can picture some. Same stairs. production company. Yeah. What's the other one? Dude, I should never have said that. Cut. Correct answer would be video gangs. Video gangs. Oh, shit. It is uh, your Norwegian compadre. Yeah. And what you won here, Stale, is a uh, bombhole prize pack filled with bombhole merch. Wow. Whoa. All available at bombhole.com. That'll give Damn. you a nice overweight baggage fee for the way home there. I'll put you over. Alaska goodie bag. Yeah. So, no, yeah, you're gonna be camping with that, huh? Yeah, you're gonna want to camp. There's a lot of cotton products in there, really good for winter camping. <laughs> Perfect. You're cotton. gonna want you're gonna want to sweat. <laughs> say cotton and, keeps you alive, right? Yeah, they, cotton is better than wool. Is what yeah. I've been told for Me winter too. camping. Me so, too. okay, uh, part two of name that video part is for our listeners. If you know whose video part this is, comment on Stale's thumbnail photo when the episode comes out on Instagram. That's where we pick our winner. Here we go. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys for playing. Name that video part. So we've been talking about contests for a long time here, Stale, but uh, you kind of got in the YouTube game early before social media was a thing. I feel like, I don't know if YouTube's technically social media. I think it kind of is. Is it? I think before we called YouTube a social media. But now I guess we do. Well, you hired Gimbal God with your, aka Spenny, with your own money, which I thought was fascinating. And you're like, we're going to make these edits for YouTube. And at the time, people were not doing this. And that was called Stale Life. And I want to pick your brain on why you decided to do that. Well, so first, I tried to do a couple with my Norwegian homie, Oivin Fixa. And, uh, Really good snowboarder. Because uh, my Froda was actually like, dude, you got to try this out. Like, look at you uh, and Olsen and uh, look at, like, you have to you have to make these vlogs. But I was like, I don't want to make vlogs. I want to make more like, I want to do it my own way, you know. And we tried to do a couple, which were fine, you know. But it was like a little tricky because we were both Norwegian. And it just felt so weird speaking English to the camera when there was a Norwegian person behind the camera. So we kind of did a few and then went on with the season. And uh, then I went to this Oakley shoot, Oakley week in Mammoth and uh, where I met Spenny. And uh, I had this idea in my head to do what now is the project lines. So this idea was what I had in my head and I really wanted to do and I tried to find the right filmer. Like I, I talked to like a skier who was really good at follow, follow cams in, in Norway, but he didn't have the time. And then I went to this shoot and Spenny was just running around doing stop motions and like just like super positive kid and made really cool stuff. And then he filmed this follow cam We when the whole Oakley team was like kind of what we, when we filmed RK1 videos, we always had like a clip when new people came in and we always call it synchronized snowboarding 
I think they called it like ball line or like mammoth. I don't remember, but all, all the guys, but Spenny was doing the follow cam and just killing it. And we kind of like the last day of the Oakley week, dinner, party, we started talking and I was just like, dude, what do you think about this project? Would you be keen to try this project? Like, would you want to come to Locks in two weeks and see how we work together, how we just film and uh, see if we can start this project? And then he was like, yeah, easy. <laughs> <laughs> and then we went to Locks and uh, he was working his ass off, like without us telling us him, we were just filming and he would wake up in the middle of the night we come down for breakfast. He had had like five double espressos and had already made a video for YouTube. It's like, whoa, what's going on? And we were there to tr kind of like film a RK1 one video, which we had other people filming too, but he was just killing it so hard and he just kind of naturally took control over that. And he told me he really wanted to edit it so he came, he flew back to Norway with us to edit it with us so we could see what he was doing. And this just blew our minds, you know. It was working hard. It was funny to hang out with. He was filming good. He edited it super well, and it, would, it just clicked. And uh, we were, went on to, like, try to film more for Lions, and he went back to the U.S., came to Korvach, we had this national team training session, and he came to film, and we tried to film more clips for Lions, which was kind of, it's not always easy, you know, tried to, like, connect these clips in the way we did, and we were still, like, figuring out how we were working together. And then he, like, built this deck presenting me how he could work for me more than lines, you know, and wanted to redo do these YouTubes, do this many videos, like had stats like he and I didn't know that during locks he had his final exam at school and he just skipped it and mm. dropped out of school to come ride with us and and uh he pro like proposed this uh is that what you said proposed? Yeah proposal this, yeah this deck and uh all of a sudden we were making stay lives and filming for lines at the same time and doing contests and Instagram and YouTube and it's just the whole production and we just kind of like naturally clicked we had the same visions I didn't like if he made a video I didn't even have to watch it before he put it out I just trusted it because mm -hmm. we were on the same page and yeah the kind of <laughs> the funny funny part in the middle there is that we were about to like agree on something but obviously I had to hire him full-time rather than on a couple of shoots and I was paying for myself because I kind of wanted to prove what we can do before we asked for budgets you know uh, but in the middle of that we were going to Super Park from Switzerland uh, we slept on the airport in Switzerland me, Torge and Spedis Spenny bought a bottle of wine, came back. And we're going to have a cozy time with the boys <laughs> in, the, in the airport. Smashed that bottle. He was trying to open it, you know, like when, with a shoe. Mm -hmm. Blew up like his hand was bleeding and had a panic attack and had to calm him down. <laughs> and, and then like we slept on the floor on our board bags and 
me and Torge had a different flight. And when we came to the U.S., the border control started questioning us. And uh, at the time, we didn't have a work visa. I didn't really know I needed one because I wasn't working. I had sponsorships, but and I'd been competing here for 10 years or so. And uh, they didn't let me in. I had to be in like custody for 24 hours. Had to take my shoelaces off. No phones. Torger and Set Hute, I think, was waiting outside the airport because I was going to drive with them. Nobody knew what was going on. And I was sitting there in a, in a room uh, watching MTV, MTV Movie Awards eight times in a row because that was what's going on on TV. And those shoelaces didn't know what was going on. And got sent back and kind of just like got forced into summer vacation and kind of just chilled and didn't really, we didn't really like sign on or like I didn't I guess Benny didn't know I like was down to film all the time so he didn't know what was going on I think he almost went to like beautiful destination like another media company and but it worked out at the end and we found our flow and and history from there yeah Amazing, incredible! Is that 2017 when you uh, 17? Yeah. Okay, so Gim, uh, we had a guest question from Gimbal God, and uh, it was in it pertained to that story that you <laughs> just told, and um, also his Gimbal God's perspective on his podcast. He came on the bombhole, so people haven't listened to that. He tells a lot of the stuff you're talking about as well. Uh, but I'm I'm curious, how many videos did you guys make together, and what was the frequency, especially with uh, stale life? I I don't know. It was. Sometimes it was once a week. Sometimes it was once every two weeks. It was different all the time. We didn't have like a, a set rule. like. And I think Spenny was the one who wanted to do more. So I was never pushing him too much to do a lot of them. But he was like, you got to do once a week. And like we had like our streaks, you know, like often pre-early seasons. We Up until X Games, we were like pretty on it and then after that you know i was kind of focusing on other stuff too and but <laughs> i think that whole all that kind of i was more nervous for the name that video part because we've used so many different songs and like in our minds there's so many videos out there now it's like chaos so i got lucky on mm. that one I, I get curious thinking about creating content we're in the space of making content but it's significantly easier because we just have a conversation you have to go out and film and do great tricks, and you guys are always like conceptualizing something. And I hear about a lot of people that want to make weekly content face huge burnout issues. Did you have to battle like burning out with that frequency of writing and making videos? I mean, f for sure, there was times, you know, where yeah, definitely, it's it's not easy, but we weren't like too strict on it. We just tried to do it. Like, if it didn't work out, it wasn't, didn't matter, you know? But we tried, and, like, obviously the frequency was good for for algorithms and stuff like that. Uh, but, like, we tried to make something we wanted to post as well. I mean, some videos are I'm less hyped on than others. Like, some, are, we it's better writing and more unique creativity and, like, more of a idea behind it. Others were just capturing what we were doing, but... I felt like we were just doing it very naturally. We didn't like stage stuff. We're just walking around talking and trying to like find 
the balance of of uh, inspiring people that are not necessarily as into snowboarding, but also the people that are into snowboarding. And it's like a fine line. You got to balance between the, or you can say mainstream and the core uh, to to stay legit, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it's it was fun. We, were, I mean, now we're not doing it in that way anymore. Like we, I guess, uh, we need to find a new inspiration for it, you know, because we did it for so long, so many. But uh, yeah, we got a Patreon question here that I think is really good. Um, this one is from Madison Wood. And uh, the question is, how did you come up with the idea for lines? And also, what's your favorite sandwich to eat? <laughs> uh-huh. Lines came uh, for sure. There was I had some inspiration from uh, Candide, Tovex, ski stuff. Uh, how he like <clears throat> sort of made it look like he was constantly riding down the mountain. And I just wanted to like evolve that into like actually like seamlessly riding down the mountain but not doing it in a way so it uh it was like evolution of that i guess that's where the idea came from and uh i just always liked when it's like constant uh, moving down you know looks like you're constantly moving down and it was a challenge you know it was we spent more time than we expected because we started focusing more on the stay lives and then we had I had contests on top of that and then yeah it was it was yeah it was it was fun but it was difficult for sure for for both me and him it was like the filming part is just as much of the trick as the and we both have to remember how the other trick looks like cuz like he's trying to be in the right spot but I'm also trying to be in the right spot and tweak in the it's like we're one at that point in the way I don't know mm-hmm. definitely becomes art you know it's an art thing at that point yeah and then we're trying to do hard tricks on top of that so yeah it, I'm, it was cool it, different I guess at the time but yeah we we spent I don't know four, it turned in from like trying to be one year to being four years or something <laughs> it, it was crazy seeing you guys operate when the short time I spent time with you while you guys were filming that it was like go ride all day, get clips, then immediately Spenny gets home and starts chopping it up. And yeah. it's like every day. And it's just like film, chop up, put out, export, upload, repeat. You're just like, holy shit, this yeah. is like how do you maintain this pace? Yeah. That's what I'm the most fascinated by. Cause I think that there's you know, I, I took a st- I'll be totally honest with you, actually, I took a stab at making a YouTube series and Dude, it was so much work. I was like, this is insane. And I think there's maybe a, a misconception around it. Oh, I'll just go and, and create a YouTube series and we'll do this. And it's like, are you ready to like have no fucking life? I mean, <laughs> do, you, do you have any recommendations for people that are thinking about starting it? Do you recommend it? Do you think they're good? Do you think they're bad? What's your take? I think it, it, it just, you got to want to do it and you got to be productive. Like, like you said, the house Benny Spenny's probably the most productive filmer, media person or of all. When he's on his shit, he's he can do so much at the same time, like mastermind. And uh, like you said, like film, 
come home, do the timeline. If you do it the same day, it, it goes fluently. If you if you have to do it a couple of days later, then you have other shots on top of that. It becomes way harder. Rather than if you do it like when the memory is fresh, then you kind of you have the storyline in your head, which helps a lot. And uh, so that's a tip. Knowing kind of what you want to make as you're making it, and uh, it, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of work for sure. If you're gonna do it. partnerships are tough too, so you know you guys are still friends. Yeah, it's been many years now. That's huge. I yeah, mean, working that closely to get together day by day. So I guess the fit is very important. Yeah, personally. yeah, and we were just on the same page yeah. when we f found the the recipe, kind of. Yeah, like we spent the summer having like we went to the glacier in Norway. We tried to film. We had a idea but the weather was shit so we couldn't film what we wanted to film so we ended up not filming and then we spent the whole summer trying to like we tried different ways and then as soon as we came to australia he took up the camera and then we naturally just did it that way and ever since it was like easy you know we could like make a shitty day into a, a interesting video in a way mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. totally um, one reference of a video we talk about a lot on the show, I always talk about your back three tail scrape, late 180, that you film with Spenny. And um, I think it's a really interesting concept is going out, you know, you, you guys would always go get footage and you're always getting clips and you're getting phenomenal clips on 10-foot jumps, 15-foot jumps, which is really difficult compared to going to a 40-foot jump or doing a 900 on a big jump that's just big and easy kind of you know like you just go off the jump and land but i think there's just there's an art to like you have to be really good to get good tricks on small things in my opinion board control wise um <clears throat> so i guess do you feel like getting the the crafty stuff like the back three tail scrape late 180 um as opposed to a backside 1080 you know w which one do you prefer what do you think's cooler what's your take I mean the the back 360 has definitely left a bigger mark. Uh I was pretty we were pretty surprised how many people shared it at the time and how much impact it got and I guess for us it was just we were just riding around. I had thought about that trick kind of just popped into my head and we tried to do it and we <laughs> did it. <laughs> and then uh and then you know it's trick is hard and he Spenny captured it in the perfect way you know so you actually get to see the trick and like that combination i think made that trick you know like maybe if it was i think i told him like dude you can just stand on the knuckle he's like no no i have to ride next to it like if, if that would have happened like maybe i would just like disappear you know he wouldn't necessarily see that i was grabbing the board while tail scraping but it just happened naturally it's just how we snowboard you know idea come to in, into the head try it out sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't like i've tried it a few times since on like big big jumps but <laughs> oh, that would be cool to like make it like long down the whole landing be insane remember i tried it in a practice on a contest as well <laughs> so sick. but it, you have to like it's like the balance there is like you gotta be you can't pop you have to land where it's the least amount of impact mm-hmm and then you have to flex and kind of 
So cool. Control. I mean, you know, it, like you're saying, the spinning. For me, the control of something simple and like that is just stunning. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it helped them. It helps with those tricks that people can relate to. Like yeah. you can understand how to do it mm -hmm. rather than like 1800, you might not understand. You understand it, but you're not never going to try it yourself. Maybe yep. I think that's why those like those tricks and like butter tricks. And nowadays, like people can like try to do it actually. You know, it's hard to do, but you, it's not necessarily scary to do. Mm. Yeah. It's such an interesting thing, thinking about, like, uh, that trick I've referenced a million times, and, and it's, like, one of my favorite things to watch on a snowboard. But there's there's this kind of unwritten rule book. If you're going to film snowboarding, it's got to be, like, for real video. It's got to be in the streets, the backcountry. We don't use park. But but those crafty park clips are are my favorite Things you know, tour gear early this year did a cab five, and then he landed in nose blunt down the landing. Yeah. Um, dude, I mean, Steamer does that stuff in his sleep. Cleveland's like literally does the craziest Steamer. shit you've ever seen, and it's like in the middle of his weekly YouTube video. And you're like, that was fucked up. But my point being is that, like, I think that direction of crafty medium sized park jumps or big park jumps, but crafty. It's just a great direction to take things. And and I wish we didn't have this unwritten rule book of snowboarding that was like I think you could mix it in. Like yeah. I mean I have there's a couple of rail kids I know that can put it down on the, in the backcountry, but I also know they can ride pipe. So just throwing a random pipe shot in if you're a rail kid yeah, or if exactly this kind of stuff. You're gonna go to AK and have some insane stuff coming out, but hopefully <laughs> and have some of these amazing, like cool, like every day in the in resort relatable things but you're doing stuff that's just mind-blowing snowboarding yeah we yeah. we're just mix like to snowboard in. mix it all in i like the atv thing yeah i really love atvs like showcase your snowboarding you like obviously you, you want to keep your video part like in a way but if you do something like i mean Look at the forum videos back in the days. There's a lot of there's way more park shoots back in the days. There's a lot of park clips in the video part. Mm -hmm. um, you just gotta figure out the right move that deserves to be in your video part. That's up to you. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's not up to anyone else. Yeah, true. Totally. I, I love the formula of um, <clears throat> like robot food. Obviously, everybody talks about that. But you look at like Travis Parker's part in Afterbang, and he's doing like. 16 millimeter cab nine nose and back radio seven indie on big cheese wedges and then the next shot is him like buttering on hard pack filmed with a handy cam and then backflip into a tree for no reason like a bush mm -hmm. and like lands on his head mm -hmm. and then it's like big cheese wet it's like this blend there's like a there's a blend of like mediums and formats and locations that that works um and i wish you know you know, I love I love the non-rigid approach. The non, this is a legit location to film. This isn't. I fucking I hate the unwritten rigidity of our our rule book that we have that nobody really has, but we all know. Yeah. I feel like it kind of goes in waves, though. Yeah. When it's acceptable and not, but it's like, what's the goal of your video part? That's up to you. You know. <clears throat> yeah. If you want to just put out just the ten bangers like the gnarliest stuff ever, that's cool. Yeah. Like Keith Kershaw, I used to love his skate parts because they were just he comes out, yep. he's wearing black leather gloves. It was just 
Make you feel something. Death only. Mm-hmm. And even Jamie Thomas. But, like, then you get, like, a Travis Parker or Mark Frank who would, you know, ollie off a 80-foot cliff, but he would also do some background tricks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like anybody can go kind of dream about the 80-foot cliff, but the reality is they're going to get to try to flat ground trick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think it's... It should be what the rider's into first, like you're saying, but also thinking larger than yourself. Sometimes it's like the the watcher mm-hmm. can relate. And then for you as a brand and your, you know, whatever else, it's more relatable. So, but I do love the, all, all that stuff I see coming out of your crew with all the cool little, I mean, stuff that I dreamed about trying and never would want to try it. I know I would just die. <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess like for yeah. us also with doing the the multiple videos a year, it kind of allowed for uh, not A grade all the time, you mm. know, because how I guess we've been programmed lately, we need like constant mm. information, video, memories, a lot worse than before. <laughs> You know, before it was like one video part a year, then you wanted it to be perfect, you know. But if you, with these videos, kind of just allowed us to just play around and then maybe for the video part I have in vision, I might be a certain way, you know, but that's up to up to you. And if everybody had did, was writing the same, it's again, it would, we wouldn't be fun to watch. Yeah. I like the concept of, you know, we vlog. We just talk about vlogs, right? We're talking stale life. It's a bit of a trigger word. I hated that word. But but it's kind of a vlog. Yeah. And so what's your take on vlogs and snowboarding? Are they good? Are they bad? Do you have an opinion? I mean, we I think I always like visioned ours or tried to make it like a mini TV series. Cause we we didn't want the like uh selfie talking. Just by that, I think for me, it took away the vlog name <laughs> in a way, but I guess it is a vlog. Uh, and that's became such a normal word in this world right now. But uh, it all depends how you do it, you know? If it's forced and not authentic, it's whack. If you're trying to be someone else, it's whack. If you're being yourself, having fun, trying to inspire people to snowboard maybe some people start to snowboard like we've had i've had some messages with people saying they stopped skiing because of the videos by that it's like i reached a goal you know Mm -hmm. like not necessarily trying to get skiers over to snowboarding but i just tried to showcase what we did and inspire people to to snowboard uh and our visions and we just had fun with it it wasn't like I mean, obviously, like lines and concept videos. Sometimes we had, sometimes we had just snowboard edits, which was like they were supposed to be this way, and then it was, you know, the stale lives was more like, you know, showing my life, playing with the world stale, you know, <laughs> and we just tried to be us, I guess. And mm. I, I feel like that's why it worked. It's like a video diary almost, yeah. rather than a. Well, the thing that's cool with that is that you did it in a way that was not cornball. And, and it's <laughs> that the vlo- word vlog, the reason why it's a trigger word is because like generally the the space is filled. The people that pursue that space tend to be, they 
they tend to be corny, corn balls, corny mm-hmm. as fuck. They're like lack of authenticity. And not all of them are. They're, you know, I, I follow vlogs in a lot of other action sports, and there's some damn good ones. I lo- I'm a consumer of vlogs. I, I, I love it because why? Because I learn about these sports that I don't know that much about. I get a little, oh, damn, I, I, you know, I, I don't know people in snowboarding. I know everybody. We, we, we're in it. We know, we know things. But you want a little glimpse of what's what's mm. Stale's life like, and I think they're a good thing for taking this person that snowboards twice a year, and they really want to learn about it, and they they learn who the characters are, and and they they can kind of like get invested in the culture of snowboarding. It's a great gateway for them to find. Oh damn! Then I found Shredbots, and then I found RK One, and then I found Torment, and then oh damn the Dust Box! Like you you kind of like. You might start with like a, a vlog, and then you might like get so into the culture that you land on a, on a on a dust box video. And so I think they're really great for like a funnel system of the culture. But the problem why they're easy targets is that uh, there's there's a huge lack of authenticity, or, and are generally filmed with cornballs. But I think an authentic vlog is is a good thing for snowboarding. Just don't call it a vlog. Yeah, just don't call it a vlog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that word. Yeah. that word's gotta go. Yeah, I mean, I think for for me, like, cause we I haven't done as many. Like last year was like my last contest season, so like, I planned on like, okay, this year I gotta, I gotta make less videos. I'm not gonna do the videos, uh, because I, I just it's it's the last push. I want to focus on writing because so many times we were at say Stu by writing before the season. And we were supposed to like get our tricks ready for the season, but I would try to film weird shit for the YouTube to get unique new tricks that I haven't done every single video. But by that, I that took me away from like doing the repetition, you know. And I guess I got to the point where, like, you know, it's this last push. I gotta just do it a little boring way, just to like I need to try keep up with these kids, you know. So I was just like kind of. Put it on the side for a while, focus on that, try it, maybe find new inspiration for it. And uh, by that, you know, like also like stepping back, watching others and like finding out that this this length of the typical, that type of video, the YouTube videos, it's like perfect for having lunch or food. It's like the thing you put on mm-hmm. while have, you make your lunch, put it on perfect length on your TV. It's actually like compared to Instagram, it's something you put on your TV, you watch and you might remember it. What's your average length? For what I do? Yeah. We didn't have any. But like just in general. I guess like five to ten maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Four to ten. Depend if it was an action heavy or Yeah, I think that's my probably my man like Crystal's tells me he watches super long form. I'm like a five to ten minute minute or it's like a nice break between a bunch of emails or yeah whatever. And it's compared to Instagram, it's like something you your brain kind of captures it yeah. because you don't swipe straight to the next. You mm-hmm. actually sit down, you might put it on your TV and you might digest it, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, you do that sometimes with Instagram too, but sometimes you're watching your phone. You don't even know like half an hour is gone. Mm-hmm. You don't remember anything of what you've seen, so true. That's what I I I do enjoy making it because it's like something I put more time in than. Sometimes you have an idea for an Instagram and you're stoked, but 
also nowadays it's like you you kind of feel like you have to post something all the time but if you don't have the idea for it it's like just like forced and same over again like maybe other maybe the audience thinks it's cool but for you it's like the same trick again or something it's like a fine line it's there's been a lot of content coming out the last 10 years in this world true that mind melter video part enders that are just like stories yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah people for are, real i mean i've been watching people posting to the gram this year that's like like wow I can have that shot in my in any anybody's part, really. Yeah. And if you put it in a wild. part or put it on YouTube, it might live longer. You know, it doesn't mm -hmm. disappear on the feed. Yeah. Which is, I, well, I think that's what makes YouTube a little. It makes it like a good platform. So for yeah, I love that. I know. Are you kind of saying you know you're gonna make less? Let's not call it a vlog. What can we call it? Let's come up with a new name. Dude, I don't know. Show. Video show. series. Yeah, Mini show. Video, video series. series. Video yeah. series. Yeah. So making less of those, are you envisioning just like a part, like a video part? Is that kind of your next thing or where are you headed? Yeah, I mean, for sure. This year, that was like it's my big goal. dream, but yeah. I like half the season went. Yeah. <laughs> well, you filmed the part last year pretty much with yeah. uh, Tour Gear. Two, two years ago. Oh, was that two years ago? Yeah. Rumble. Yeah, because last year it was mostly contest. Okay, so Rumble was, yeah. that footage was two years ago. Yeah, right? well, that was pretty much A and B role from X Games and then one trip to Silverton. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, so we've obviously been talking about vlogs, uh, but we skipped over um, one of the biggest highlights of your career, I feel like, is your Real Snow Bronze. Did you get bronze on that part? Filmed the Real Snow part, um, invented a new trick, filmed it, Similar process to lines. Walk us through that real snow experience for you. Yeah, real snow was pretty intense, to be honest. Uh, we were pretty stoked to do it. It made sense. Like me and Spenny were filming together. They were doing a real snow that was kind of, you could say, open. Like you could do whatever you wanted to. It ha didn't have to be street or back entry in particular. Uh, so it was kind of like up to you. Make a piece. How long are it? Ninety seconds. Ninety seconds, I think. I'm not sure. Yeah, ninety seconds. Yeah. 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 Um. And uh, yeah, we were stoked to do it. It was like after COVID, so there was not that much other things going on. So it made sense. Like me and Spenny, Spenny flew to Norway, and basically stayed there, celebrated Christmas with my family. <laughs> um. But there was no snow <laughs> anywhere. So we didn't get to start till like, I think it was from end of October till end of January or something, beginning of October. But I don't think we filmed the first clip until 3rd of December or something. And that was, I think we scraped together snow to jump over this magic carpet tunnel at my local mountain. We just like had to try to do something. But we had like the... You know, we had the vision of capturing it in our style, you know. So it was like follow cams, obviously, uh, kind of lines inspired, but we didn't want to go all the way there, just kind of like make it look like you were riding the whole time, kind of matching the the shots. So it was like as we went on, we had to like have a 
vision for it. You know, this trick fits here, then this trick here. But yeah, it was tough. The, the snow didn't come. Uh, ideally, we had planned to do all like kind of side hits in resort and, and backcountry heavy. But somehow we ended up in the street. <laughs> I I thought I was done with street rails by then. Like not not no offense to street rails, but just like Yeah, I was kinda I was wondering what you meant by that. Like if you're you know, that's a jab or not. <laughs> no, no. I I mean I fuck that No no, I uh, I we just ended up going to this one place they had a little bit of snow, so we scraped together snow. Uh but it happened to start snowing. So it kept snowing. We found some spots. We got into a groove. Like we were like, okay, we're gonna try to get a clip every day, because we were still filming YouTube. So it's like every day, a clip either for real snow, if either if it's a lifestyle clip, or make a YouTube, or we're just trying to do something every day, just to like not stop. And we got into this really good groove. Uh, kind of turned on the real snow mindset, starting to become fearless. Like not questioning the trick you would do on like close out rail or whatever we were hitting, I was like not scared anymore. I was just like, yeah, X Games, real snow mode. You've probably been in it, uh, but the time frame is so short, and also like filming, you're you're reliable, you're like relying on snow. It was so heavy. We just uh, we just tried to make the best out of everything, but like sometimes it worked out, sometimes not. We had a little break during Christmas, and then we like headed out to Switzerland to try film backcountry, and we like it was not deep snow, like it was rocks everywhere. Like we hit so many rocks. And we look back at it, like, Torgir was there. Luckily, Torgir was with us most of the time. Like, I hate riding by myself. You need, like, a homie. You need someone else to push it with you, you know? Makes it so much easier. So thanks for Torgir for being there and, like, helping organizing stuff in Switzerland and, like, filming for his stuff. But dude, we hit so many rocks, and we look back at it, especially after being at the Bald Face course and, like, just, like, just call that whole time dumb and desperate. Because we were so desperate to get shots for real snow to to do well that we didn't care about this much snow on top of rocks chucking double corks, you know. So it was by the end it was kind of like mentally draining. I think we all it left a mark on our brain cells <laughs> for sure. For both Spenny, me, and probably Torger, like we were pretty frustrated by the end. And then, like, we, it was kind of coming together. And we were kind of, like, missing the last clip, you know, the last two clips. We tried a couple. I I actually fell a few days earlier and rolled and fucked my ankle. and was hurting pretty bad, but it kind of worked out a couple days later, especially when I was writing powder. Later, we found out it was... A, like a little piece broken through the whole season but uh we we're kind of stressing we had one day left before locks opened because then i had to like cut it one week early and that's when we got the the double chicane and i think by the time we reached that point prior to that me and spenny was kind of like on top of each other you know because we both wanted it so bad and we were just so drained 
and then we got that trick and it was everything was like <laughs> amazing we got pizza I drove to locks and then locks open happened and I had to pull out because my ankle was hurting so yeah x games was sick but it also fucked us up mm. what's your experience how's that for you yeah no I, I definitely got emotionally drained to the point where I remember going to the airport and it's kind of a longer story but I was like I was gonna miss my flight, but if I checked a bag and I was like, "Look, you can take this board bag and you can just like throw in the trash." I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to go home. Yeah, like, wow. you know what I mean? Like, so I I felt that, but uh, you know, you you kind of breezed over the double Shakira, double chicane. What exactly? You do a double chicane and then another five forty after. So, is it a? What is the trick technically called? What do we What do we name in that thing? Because you invented that, right? I think so. I don't. I mean, I think so. I too. mean, I don't. I think when you're doing a evolution of a trick, I I think it's. I don't like when you put a new name on it. It's just like a. It's a double chicane. Like some might argue a chicane should be from the heels or like not nolly, but I would say it's more a double chicane than a switch double fronts at rodeo. But uh, yeah, me too. You di- you dive over the front. Yeah, which makes it chicane so it's vibes. Like, I guess a double chicane twelve. Double chicane twelve. Okay. Um, what did Alec? What would Alec call it? I don't know. You gotta call him. <laughs> He's like yelling into the yeah. pop, like speakers, <laughs> like it's not that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, it's a trick. It's, it, so I, I was so still, you earlier you talked about visualizing tricks, and you're like, I've done them in my head. Where were you at with visualization? How many tries did it take? This one. Yeah. I. T- uh, I had had this trick in my head for a long time. This was 2021. And I had tried it prior to Olympics 2018 in Korea. But then I went off my toes. I tried it two or three times, but I never showed anyone because I kind of wanted nobody to try it before me. I tried it then and I kind of couldn't come down correctly. I would land like on the back. And it was scary, you know, so I never really tried it again uh, until that real snow session, like where a jump before. I tried it once and just ended up in like a different rotation. I just came down on like my back or head or something and like ripped my binding off so I couldn't try again. And we kept like looking for the right jump. And then on this jump, I, I landed first try actually. I think I tried one like single, like 900 first and ate shit. And then I tried that one and landed. Sick. <laughs> and, the pr- and then like this jump was, Torger had like split his nose up and uh, his board on a rock in the landing. Wow. Dumb and desperate. You guys are gnarly. Down. And then the the back 180, in, earlier in your real snow part, you do a back 180 butter cab five on a on like a cornice and there's rocks and all the landings that you can see. Yeah, but that was I was this not upside down twice. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> and I knew where the rocks were. Yeah. They weren't under the snow like Yeah. Uh but that we found the six zone and I yeah, I'm pretty proud of that video so, for sure. So what's your what's your going back in time, you refer to it as dumb and desperate. Okay, you've gone done this bald face avalanche risk maturity course that we hung out at this earlier this year. What's your what's your assessment in hindsight of your decision making if we're doing a little uh, debrief on that? Terrible, like not not like necessarily 
sketchy Abbey danger on all of them, but the rocks, like the base of the snow, that was it's not good. That was desperate. So would you recommend people to probe their landings or just like if you know there's rocks, just don't the risk isn't worth it or what? Yeah, I mean just most people don't have the pressure of filming at X Games part before the snow uh base is deep enough. So stay in the resort until the base is deep enough, I guess. Mm. That's a good know, takeaway. Know your risks, I guess. Know when to hold them, know when to fold them, they say. Mm. So, you know, we earlier in the show, we talked about how you've been wrapping up your contest scene, but your last year, you kind of didn't want to do vlogs. You wanted to go all in. Mini TV, mini show. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> so that, 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 that trigger word, trigger <laughs> word. Uh, you didn't want to do your series, so you decided not to really film. You want to go all in on contests. And earlier off air, you said that like the Wim Hof breathing technique kind of saved your your contest year. I'd love to hear more about that. I I guess like I came into the season like knowing this was my last push, you know, make it to the Olympics, uh, and kind of step out from there and get into all the other fun stuff I want to explore in in the snowboarding life, you know. Uh, and I came to do tour and I just had I just couldn't find my flow. Like I was at the contest and I just had I felt like I had nothing to do there. I was scared. My I felt weak, like I was slow on my edge. Like I just didn't want to do it. At the same time as like I felt I, yeah, I, yeah, I felt shitty on my board. And uh kind of got unmotivated after that, you know. I knew it was only a little bit left, but I I in my head I had all these ideas for filming and stuff. And then we were, me and my friend, we were at, we were actually at Marcus Steamer's uh, resort because uh, they had built up a little park there. And we went there for some night riding after New Year's. And my, my homie, Ivan Anderson, came. And uh, we we're just talking about, uh, you know, mind space and stuff on the way up. And, uh, and then he had been doing like cold baths and this breathing technique. And, and I think we were staying in a cabin, me, Sven Torgren, his girlfriend, and then my homie. And my homie just showed it to us, and we were all on the floor, like, breathing, like, sounding like crazy. And I just found, like, a sense of, like, relaxation, and, like, I could, like, reset my mind. And then after just hanging out with him, I wasn't, like, as stretched. I was stressed about having to do well in the contest. I would just go do my thing and... Like I've I've already done so much, you know. I'm putting all this pressure on myself. It's not nobody else, and and then like, also like, by that, I started being aware of my breathing. And that also like helped like my being dizzy while riding and all this. And I'm like, like after 15 years competing, being like involved with like Olympic facilities and stuff, and nobody has taught me. Or told me I should breathe before I drop into a slope cell run, you know? Normally, maybe I didn't, like, I dropped in on a out-breath, you know, and hold, held my breath the whole way down. So, like, I kind of started breathing and found my focus a little bit and rela- relaxed. I was just having a good time. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's a combination about that. I found my groove there and then went to locks and then it went well. I got second <laughs> from 
almost quitting before, you know. So yeah, breathe. Remember to breathe, I guess. So you don't want to. You just for, did I hear that right? You don't want to hold your breath all the way down. I, I don't think that's, you can. That's what, that's I feel. what I've been doing for thirty-eight years. I I don't this. know if you can control that. Yeah. But if you can breathe before you go in, it helps. Mm-hmm. And also, like, because it's yeah, it's kind of a when you do contest, you, you go into this. When you're doing your run, you go into this hyper focus, mm. where you kind of it almost feels like an out of body experience, like mm. you're just a passenger because your brain is so focused, mm-hmm. which what? is an incredible feeling. But you might forget to breathe. What <laughs> is your you know? You learned a lot from like dropping in before a contest, but now maybe you're on the top of a jump in Alaska or wherever. What's your right before you drop in ritual? The th- I think I keep, I kind of like, I, ha- I keep forgetting mm-hmm. when I'm filming. It's kind of like, I don't take breaks. I'm just like up, strap in, drop in. Yeah. Just get it, get it done. Yeah. Or just like keep riding, but. At the end of the contest, like when I ex- when I found that, you know, yeah. I've been trying to bring that to writing in general, but I I kind of tend to forget sometimes. But just like taking a little bit of time before you drop, I think that'd be good for me as well. Like sometimes I forget, but at the contest at the end, I started like really noticing because you had all these preparations. It kind of becomes like a little routine, you know, like mm-hmm. you. Do a little warm up. You think about your run. You're in the start gate. Okay. Sometimes music, music on. Sometimes maybe silent, and then hyper focus. Mm-hmm. I got a recent theory I want to work out with you guys, and I want to on on these types of things, and I want to hear your take on it. So I I uh, <clears throat> earlier this year I was battling a trick, and uh, I ended up getting a make. But in my head, the story I had was it was kind of like um, it's almost like courting a significant other. You know, if you're if you're going after if if you're a, a dude looking for a, a girlfriend or to meet a, a lady of sorts, right? You you might go out and and you don't want to be too desperate, right? You don't want to <laughs> you don't want to want the trick too bad. Is that how you, you approach if, the trick? This is what I'm saying. It's my theory. <laughs> I want to run it. I want to hear if you this works for you. You don't want the trick too bad because then you're kind of scared if you don't get it. You're like, oh, I got to get this. I get it. What if I don't get it? Like, ah, and you start kind of freaking out and you kind of lose your, you lose your composure and you're tense. Whereas if you're like, you know, I don't even care if I get the trick that much. I mean, I want it. <laughs> it would be nice, but I'm, I'm okay without it. All of a sudden the trick, it wants to come to you. And, and I think that's the same law of attraction when it comes to, you know, courting somebody of a, uh, like that you're attracted to. Right. So, so I think there's kind of there's some correlations, right? You don't want to be desperate. You don't want to want it too bad because then you're you're like your kind of judgment is clouded where you're like stressed. You're too stressed and then you're stiff and you're missing your grab. But if you're kind of like I either a like I don't I don't even need the trick. It's going to come to you. Or if you're like, you know, I'm good either way. It's going to come to you. But if you're desperate. The trick's not going to come to you. Was, do you think there's any validation to that? Or are you like the hungry, hungry, hungry hippo where you're like, I need it? Or else, it's like. If you're filming X Games Real Snow, then you're hungry. <laughs> hungry hippo. Yeah. <laughs> no, I. I don't know. Sometimes it's depending on what trick you're 
your pick, you know. This is a long rail. This yeah, is what I was doing. a long rail. Because it's like a psychological battle. Yeah, yeah. but the, the, the thing with long rails is like you can either get it second, first try, or it can take you four days. Mm-hmm. You just got to do it many times. Sometimes it's... You got to pretend you're, like you're you don't care. Sometimes if you get... If you get, if you get yeah. the long rail, yeah. that's theory. I feel like you almost get further and further away every single try. Sometimes. And then all of a sudden you get it. But long rails are battle. Mike, you got a theory on this? Um, no, I thought because you you brought this up before. I, I mean, I think it's different per trick, like you're saying. Yeah, certain things are like gnarly, and gnarliness maybe you got to have that like want. Yeah, I mean, even if it's gnarly for me, I like to gnarly. If it's something gnarly, I like to see it in my mind before I can even try it, and then just clear my mind and kind of like a mix of what you're saying, like not think about it at all when I drop in. Hmm. That's, a little that's the quick turn, like he said. When you get to the top and just go, yeah, don't don't overthink it. Keep it don't simple. Just that that's that's the that's a big key too. Is just keep it keep it simple. Mm-hmm. You you already know, you already been through that in your head. Mm-hmm. But it it if it's like a gnarly trick, you're terrified on top of it. You know, mm-hmm. if it's a difficult trick, long rail, it might get less and less gnarly doing the rail because you get used to the rail. Yeah, but you just get more and more frustrated. Mm-hmm. But if it's a scary trick, a scary trick on a gnarly line, you might get one shot at it. Yeah, you might not have the energy, brain power to do multiple. You know. Mm-hmm. I got a question for you. So you're showing up and you're doing. Like, our first question is like, when you're doing a back, when you're doing a fourteen or over. In rotation. When you're about to do it, are you like you got? You're not like chill right you're like all right we gotta like you gotta get fired up yeah definitely i i mean i think certain years i was they came easier i wasn't really stressing other years it took a lot of energy uh the last five years i feel like i almost my contest run is happening in the contest run like Hmm. i don't i do like a lower end run during practice, maybe like a 360 less on each trick just to get the flow and just because some people do their run right away, boom, keep doing it. Others are like kind of just working their way up. Some tricks are so gnarly, you only do them in contests almost, you know. That's interesting that you know, okay, that 12 felt chill. I know what I got to do to do it, 16. Yeah, it's kind of similar like a front 10 is pretty similar to a front 14 almost. Just got to wh- whip it harder. Yeah. And kind of, I guess with th- with my gas pedal, Indy, mm-hmm. I got to pull the gas later. If I pull it too early, I'll come into the wrong axis. Hmm. But that's different from techniques to techniques. So so my, my build up from that initial question was to kind of like, how do you, as a person that is, putting themselves in a position of being scared constantly. Uh, I, my point I was getting at is like, not necessarily, nobody really wants to do a 16. <laughs> like there's, there's a, there's like a degree of like, like it's, it would be much easier to do a back 180 and be like, I'm just going to do a back 180. It's going to feel awesome. It's going to be great. I'm going to pop. It's going to be chill. I'd love the feeling of that trick, but you're like, you, the point is like you make yourself try these uncomfortable tricks over all the years of you 
making yourself try uncomfortable tricks year after year after year, do you have like uh, any any pointers to get somebody to be like get to that point of just like more or less saying fuck it? Yeah, but I mean, you get to the point where those uncomfortable tricks are comfortable when you do them so much. I think a lot of those guys in the contest tour now might think it's scarier doing a back one on the big jump and the, then a back 16 because they don't know how to spin slow or there's too much time for shit going on, you know? Maybe, maybe not, but the more like, the more you spin those tricks, the more, like, it, it gets normal, you know? Like, so you'll see the, the steamer, for example, he might show up and test the jump in the back 16. <laughs> and I'm on the side like, fuck, I'll, I'll, I might do it in my contest run. <laughs> By the end, you know, like, it's, it's, uh, yes, it just comes so natural to some of them. Like, you just, the more you do it, you know, the more normal it feels <laughs> until, you, I guess, you do too much and you lose the trick. <laughs> <laughs> the more you hit, the better you get. Yeah. They say, Mike. Well, I'd better start hitting. <laughs> do you think you could coach Mike to do a back 16 if you had to? Do you think you could get him get him there if he needed to? I mean, if he... You have to be willing. If he wants to. <laughs> Let's go to Woody's. If he wanted to. <laughs> but <laughs> Huck and, Huck and Tuck. Huck. You ready? <laughs> I'm with my iPad on the knuckle. <laughs> iPad. Reviewing the footy. Dude, I've... I've, dude, I've seen some, some, it might have been skier, where there's a coach on the knuckle, like, yelling, like, tuck, open, up. Oh, yeah. That's fucked up. Maybe I could wear a headset while you're yeah. touching it, too. <laughs> tuck. Let me see. Grab, let go. Wait, Land. wait, wait, wait. Chuck. Grab the wrong grab. Not that grab. <laughs> Just latch on boot. Yeah. Little back 16 boot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love to see it. I don't think like if you're like gunned to my head, like your whole family's dead. You have to do a back sixteen today. I think we'd all be dead. I would try. I would definitely try. But, but I, I think like I think I get like I think back ten and then right after the, dude, I'm back to, as soon as we get over that to, like twelve landing on my head. You can get the twelve. You can get the twelve. Yeah, you got it. Then you got a whole another three sixty. Yeah. yeah, to get the sixteen. It's a lot. You guys are psychopaths. Yeah. I was thinking about the 18s, crazy. It's like you go off the jump, you do a 900, which I, I can conceptualize that one pretty well. But then you do a whole nother 900. In the yeah. Air. There's it's two, been more in one jump than we do in a day when we're cruising. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Uh, speaking of spinning a lot, uh, you had a little bit of a dizzy spell um, in contests, and I'd love to hear that kind of journey you went through. The dizziness? The crystals. and the Yeah, I mean, I... At some point, I just started feeling a little dizzy, like while riding, or just kind of like felt like if I sh- was shaking my head, it didn't like it was. It kept like shaking on the inside, and like maybe I had one situation at Dutor practice, Breckenridge, obviously high altitude, pretty long run, and uh, practice like mid mid slopes I run between the jumps, like almost fainted uh it wasn't like a problem that was all the time but sometimes like the as i got older and i 
tried to kind of, and it's pretty uncomfortable when you're going into a pretty big jump trying to do a triple cork or 14 or you want to be sharp. So I tried to like kind of figure it out. I went to see like uh, somebody for like crystal sickness, didn't find anything. Went to the eye doctor, like see if I needed glasses or something. Nothing there and kind of just no answer on it, just being slightly dizzy. But uh, it kind of it worked out. It is it, sometimes more, sometimes less. I guess kind of the breathing kind of helped a little bit. Mm. Breathe before you drop. So it hasn't happened in a while. Not as not as bad as that. As that time, that was maybe maybe it was also a combination by like, maybe it was the time like also my my knees were hurting me a little bit. That might be, I felt I put more pressure on myself than I should have, or kind of it was like a combination about like. Not crazy harmony or something. Mm. I don't know. Mm. You know, I'm not a doctor, but I could be if I wanted to. <laughs> and let's hear it. What's your diagnosis, Chris? You know, I would take a look at stress personally. I'd take a look at stress. Yeah, could have been. Factor. Mm. I don't know. It's Mike, a Mike, uh, Mikey, Mike LeBlanc, Mike MD? LeBlanc, MD. I'm going to say he had a mixture of a ear infection, maybe putting the crystals off, like he was talking about. Mm. Uh, mixed with stress. Stress is the ultimate. Killer, mm. I think it might have been a couple doctors. You got you're talking to basically like we're not legally how doctors, but we we're how do we solve how, how do we solve this? I would send you to a cranial sacral person, uh, <laughs> first. I actually really like cranial sacral, mm-hmm. just get a full ne- neurological reset. See how I, you feel. Th- I mean, yeah, whatever. I'm gonna go down this wormhole. Okay. I was just thinking about like what are we doing talking about this, but I do think like a lot of ailments in my life. If I'm speaking on my own personal experiences, have been caused by stress. Like if I get sick, it's like, damn, I'm feeling sick. It's like, dude, you're mm-hmm. hella stressed out. Yeah, and oh, like yeah. it's like if when I'm not stressed, like um, my health, my vitality is just better. So that's that's. I mean, like I said, pretty much a doctor. So your life's better, your riding's better, and like you even said maybe earlier about getting you know heading out of the contrast circuit. Maybe your mind wasn't in the right place. That's a form of stress, too, mm-hmm. when you're, like, battling in between what you really want to do versus, you know, what you're doing. Yeah. And stress, too. But. All right, I got a question for you. So with contest scene, you know, obviously we talked about the big spins being a little bit not our favorite things. What do you think about the direction? Like, what's a good direction? Where where we where's this thing headed? What's a good direction for snowboard to head trick style wise? Contest wise, just in general, just like what do you like to see when the way I mean, things I, are headed? I think in general we're we're doing pretty good. Everybody's doing different stuff, figuring out new tricks. It's not easy to do a new trick nowadays. The natural progression is adding an extra spin, which is Maybe difficult to do, but it's not difficult to foresee. Mm. To come up with is pretty simple. Spin more, but like if you can find other accesses, different ways, like all these knuckle tricks, like like how can you hit the street differently? Big mountain, like with natural selection now, you see a lot more people hitting like natural hits in the resort, which is cool. That's like kind of giving 
pushing people to a different type of progression. But if you go contest-wise, it's like first you gotta get some judges who can think <laughs> other than more spins. Like you can actually like weigh up this trick for this trick mm. rather than like, oh, it's more it's more technical because of more spin. Uh, so that one's difficult. That's maybe up to the course or like we were on to something with the tour. Like maybe there's how you build up the tour. So people ride differently. But uh, I don't know. People like we didn't think we were going to do triple corks. Now we're doing quad corks, you know. Sky's the limit, I guess. Yeah, it's a good answer. I think you're right. People are doing it. There's all kinds of directions we can go, and like the street and the big backcountry, and everybody's kind of mixing it together, and uh, adding style. Like I think is what you're asking for in the in the contest. Really, is there a way to add style to the judging rather than just the spin? I mean, for sure, it I, it is there already, but it's just hard to. It's ho- it's hard to judge too, you know. Sure. It's like, like it's not easy. Yeah, you have how much time to decide this score on this guy and that guy. You gotta remember all this, but it's just, I guess, we we all want to see something else than more spins. I guess that's mm. what mm. is it? We gotta wait and see. Mm-hmm. Like like uh, Cleveland did like a, you know, the Nolly triple. Yeah. You know, like in big air X games, like it was something different than more, it didn't add rotation to the maximum rotation. It added, added rotation to more difficult variation of a trick. Mm-hmm. Those are hard, you know, like. The reason why he's the only one that does that. <laughs> like, and you don't see any, do you see any triple backs or rodeos with more than 12s, you know? Like, it's because it's terrifying. Nobody wants to do this way, way easier or less scary to try a backs at 18 than a triple backs at rodeo. But if the judges don't reward that, obviously you're going to do a backs of 18. Yeah, and there's probably 20 people on the planet that know that. Or or even <laughs> like uh, Fitzsimons did the nose grab front triple. Yeah, and, got f- and didn't get any points for it. And yeah, that, that was, was just gorgeous. That was a gorgeous looking yeah. chuck. You know? Yeah, that was fucked up. The judges fuck up a lot. You know, the, but the, it's not easy. That's no. the thing too about being a judge is it's like it's a pretty thankless job too. It's like you know you when you get it right, nobody cares because you got it right. What's what your job is? You know what yeah. we expect to do in, in our subjective sport. And when you get it wrong, you're everybody's punching bag, and so it's like. But as a judge, it's also what you sign up for. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't want that, then you probably shouldn't be a judge. Yeah. Um, but yeah. It's all really good conversation. You know, I like, uh, was thinking about watching, I was watching some of your old parts and like in Nation and the Golden Hour session, you know, a lot of the right grab combos of like backside seven, stale fish, and then you bring it back to indie or indie to stale fish. I can't remember which one. Indie to stale fish. Indie to stale fish. And like the grabs where there's like a good rewind or tour gear switchback five method. Um, uh, you've done other mixed up grabs in that Golden Hour session and things like that, but. I think those are great directions as well, too, for, you know, keeping things fresh. Yeah, I mean, some of them look good. Some of them don't, but it's, you know, think outside the box. Just, 
just uh, try not to follow what everybody else is doing all the time. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's not easy because most tricks have been done. Yeah. But find your style, you know. Don't Totally. I mean, obviously, you have your favorite writers. You're going to copy them a little bit, but also, like, put your own flavor to it. All right. It's time for that sh- part of the show we call Hot Takes. Great part of the show. Hot Takes is presented by Oakley. Uh, I run the Oakley Line Miner goggles, the prism lens, and I run the Oakley Mod 1 Pro helmet. Um, new to the helmet game, kicks ass. What are you running for Oakley gear, um, Stolly? Same. Mod, But you run the Mod 1 not Pro, just the Mod Yeah, one. Mod 1. I've been running both, but recently mod, I, I run the Mod 1 Line Miner goggles, prism. And he's got Pro Mod He's yeah. got pro model outerwear. He's yeah. got pro model everything. Yeah, I run my my own outerwear <laughs> with Oakley goggles, gloves, streetwear hoodie. It's pretty good. They make everything you need yeah. from golf shirts to combat boots to yeah. sunglasses. Kid looks good. Yeah, it's a it's a great company, and I've been there over ho- half my life. It's family. Incredible. Well, we're gonna get into hot takes. Uh, we do this every episode. The first question we always ask is the GOAT, greatest of all time, or Michael Jordan, we like to use too, uh, both male and female. To you, who's your who's your GOAT? To me, <laughs> I think I would have to say Travis Rice, just because he's of my era, or like since I started, uh, and he's been pushing it so long, and he's still pushing it. Still winning contests, produced the biggest videos of snowboarding, uh, invented many tricks. He has the longest bomb hole ever. <laughs> <laughs> it is prestigious. It's right. Uh, so that's that's the icing on the cake, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, and then female. Female, I gotta go with Jamie Anderson. Like, you, I, it's hard not to. I think Zoe's going to come in, make a run for the money, but as of now, Jamie, insane. Mm-hmm. And you watched her dominate, like you were right alongside her for all those years. Yeah, too. I mean, but she also did it long before me, you know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay, sidebar question. Who's the Norwegian goat? Norwegian goat. There's many, but uh, you cannot not say Teria. Solid answer. Uh, art or sport? Is snowboarding art or a sport to you? It's a mix. It's a good mix. Put art and sport and you just put them in the blender. <laughs> Shake them up. And then maybe somebody gets a cup with more sport in it and somebody gets a cup with more art in it. Good answer. Yeah. I love that. It's a, this guy's best one he's yet. good. He's good. Best one I've heard. I'm going to steal that. Yeah, that is a good. That's probably the best explanation. Okay. Who's the most underrated in your opinion? Alec, even though it's everybody's favorite snowboarder. But this will be good because people will go down the rabbit yeah. hole on him. The mainstream, all of the mainstream might not know, but the core, they definitely know. Okay, steel or powder? Powder. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we got a single steel, to be honest with you. I'm a little disappointed in that. Maybe <laughs> we have. Okay, best style ever. Who you got? <sighs> it's tough. Uh, I was thinking about this, but... Um, I think I've had like different eras in my, but I I would say maybe Kazu. 
Great answer. Sick. Okay. Uh, best snowboard video ever made. Ugh. To you. That's a tough one. I think... I, I don't think I have, like, necessarily a favorite one, but I think the one that stands out the most in my upbringing, watching, is probably Follow Me Around. Maybe it's not the style that... Uh, now, but then, was, like, what hit me. Well, not that it's not now, but you know what I mean. No, it's a timeless Ender, Aeroetala. So I think that's the one that had the biggest impact of me then. Now I find my inspiration both there and like bits and pieces in all old videos, you know. I I take out the the pieces that uh, hits me, but that video probably had the most impact. And the VHS of technical difficulties is imprinted to my brain. Great answer too. Um, best board graphic ever. The sword. It's a good one. Solid answer. Yeah. Um, okay. If you could go heli boarding with three people, actually, first we'll ask pants over the ha- high back or <laughs> under the high back. Under the high back. It's new gen. We don't get over the high back anymore. You over the high back? Still running it. Are you? Yeah. I didn't notice that. That's Dude, OG. You- Goggles just went over the helmet. Might uh, the pants might come oh, back up a... uh, over the <laughs> high backs again? The pants have been too tight. Maybe they're getting bigger again. Yeah, might have to go back over. Who knows? Pretty mm. personal. Okay, if you could go heli boarding with three people, just good times, whack and pow turns. Who are you taking? <laughs> I mean, I w- I would have loved to go with the RK one crew, but then we got to add one seat to the helicopter. You do that. You do a little mod, a little modification, yeah. a little heli mod. Yeah, let's get Olaf can sit in the in the basket yeah. outside. In the basket, yeah. <laughs> Throw Olaf in the basket. Yeah. So Torger, <laughs> Alec, Len, Olaf. That'd be cool. That'd be a cool experience. That's sick. Okay. Um I got a curveball one for you. First try, go to backcountry like pat down trick. Must land scenario. Step down, probably cab five. Best method. Ooh. Ooh. Um, I don't know. It's like, I feel like what I like in the method has changed like throughout the years, but, uh, probably since I sort of changed my method like years ago, I was probably most inspired by Nicholas Miller. Mm. So that's probably the one that's had the most impact. (coughs) Sorry on me. Great answer. Yeah. So Mueller, um, last question. Worst trend, what do you got? Worst trend, I think uh, it's got to be like a cancel culture. Mm. Good answer. All right. Um, you know, I actually almost forgot. We have a guest question from your brother, Frode. Here we go. Okay. Damn. Hi, guys. I'm a big fan of the podcast. Keep up the good work. Stola, this is your big brother calling in. Uh, my question is... Um, we traveled the world together for many years and there's a big age difference between us. So I'm sure that everything looked different through your eyes. We went to China, New Zealand, Europe, US. We built backcountry kickers. We went uh, in the streets at night. We um, went to big contests. We slept on floors. We slept in luxury hotels. We did a lot of different things. 
And uh, and my question is, uh, what is your most memorable moment or moments? All right, guys. Hope you're enjoying the the podcast, and uh, I'm sure uh, we all, or at least I'm looking forward to to hear it. All right. Cheers. Bye. Wow. Yeah. Thanks, bro. Making it really easy for me. <laughs> the hard hitting question, yeah. <laughs> uh, th- that's the type of question when you get the question, you don't remember anything. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's we experienced so many things together. From uh, the first time snowboarding, he was with us. We got it uh, for Christmas, me and my sister, and he took us up to that was in Christmas holiday and took us up to the hill and kind of just showed us quick we just hiked up in the dark and just rode down a little bit and then and then when we're done i think andres wieg shows up and frode is shooting andres wieg for their movie and he does a backflip gap on the kink rail so that was my first day of snowboarding that wow. i saw that <laughs> um pretty memorable uh obviously arctic challenge experience um I think when we went to Mammoth with Froda for with 32 met this guy mm. listening to this guy banter the first time mm. I was mind blown <laughs> Good times And uh you were a kid back then still Yeah Man so much I I can't uh, come up with the 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 ones but uh yeah he really took me under his wing and and showed me Showed me, yeah, just kind of helped me get into where I am. And when I look back at it now, like how much he did for me, and did we were, we were shoveling street spots on Christmas Day. Him and I, because he wanted to help me, I wanted to shoot photos. Mm. And he was six; he's sixteen years older than me, so he was like, now if I was gonna do that for, I I like to chill on Christmas Day. Eat, gingerbread and lay on the couch you know <laughs> now but we were like shoveling stairs and and you know in the back country and he's probably i don't know if it was because he was with me and helping me and stuff but it's probably the media person that's uh, i've seen shovel the most like he shovels more more than the writers he's so like so motivated and i think thanks to him is a lot of my career is thanks to him and like what Alec talked about, my motivation to keep going, the work ethic is something that I've kind of mirrored from him and, and learned from him. So he was like a, you know, he was so much older than me that he was more like a superhero. Like we never argued uh, until we got way older, you know. <laughs> it was like, if he said something, that was like written in the Bible, you know, for me almost, you know, that was, he, what he said was the shit. Mm. So he was like a superhero role, and uh, yeah, been uh, we've been through uh, a lot of cool, cool stuff with big. Like many times, he went on uh, traveling, and people thought he was my dad. So mm. uh, it's been uh, it's been sick. Just gotta get him back into snowboarding again. Brotherly love, <laughs> amazing. His art looks unreal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's big into art now, and. It's killing it. All of a sudden, went from photography to drawing these insane characters. Like it looks like animated, but he's like coloring them and just sitting in his studio drawing all day. He's like so focused and 
but uh, I need to get him in the out on the. One other thing that was pretty cool was we I was in teen for European X Games. I was a little we were riding half pipe still, and I was a little scared of doing the double and the half pipe. I knew how to do them by then, but I was it was like icy and stuff. And he he calls me or texts me like, dude, if I do a monkey flip in the half pipe and I send you, you got to do a double. And I was like, okay. And then he goes up to the local mountain and sends me a video of him doing like a monkey flip. And I'm like, okay, now I got to do it. <laughs> That's sick. <laughs> <laughs> That's so sick. What is what is a monkey flip for the record? He called it monkey flip. I think it's it's what I would call a crippler. Yeah, okay, that's what yeah. I was picturing. Yeah, mm. so you did it. So I then yeah, I had to do the double cab double. I I did frontside and I think I did front. I did frontside cab, but I don't know in this contest what I did. But yeah, pipe was scary at some points. Yeah, I also heard um, you met Schwarzenegger with Colonel Cotts. We were reminiscing. Yeah, war stories. The Terminator, Terminator showed up in. Uh, Beijing for Aaron Style. We were in the bird's nest, riding practice. Uh, practice was over. We were going to go to the... We had locker rooms when we were in these stadiums. And we were walking over, and there was this big guy, bunch of people around him. And we were like, what's going on over there? You know, because it was only us in the bird's nest because it was still practice days. And we walk over, and then it's like, Arnold is there. And he goes like, hey, guys, uh, question, how, how do you calculate uh, if you, so you don't jump off of the side of the jump? Like he thought we were going to, how we made the landing and now came off the side and like, oh. <laughs> and like all of a sudden Terminator is you're like, what the, f- That's amazing. what's going on? Like the biggest hand I ever seen. <laughs> and then, yeah, we got a photo with him. It's a memorable experience, me. Kotzenberg and Eric Willett and uh, the Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. Terminator. Yeah, Terminator. Yeah. Good stuff. Yep. Actually, I have the same question because I tend to boomerang hook myself, so it's a good question. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, well, we got a question here. We're going to get into uh, Patreon, and this one is from Todd O'Hare. How is it creating your own signature boards, and do you have any artists in mind for future graphics? Yes, thank you for the question. Uh, creating your own gear is it's a, it's a crazy experience, dream come true, I think, for any action sport uh, athlete or any athlete. Uh, and I've been lucky enough to do with uh, multiple brands and get my own boards with Rome, and it's a really cool experience. Some years it's easy. You know the idea right away. It works well. Sometimes you're like, oh, shit. I can pick from anything in the world. What? <laughs> and then, like, all of a sudden, the idea might come into your mind, or you might have an artist you want to use. Rome also has Paddock, who's a great artist in house. Uh, and uh, I think the process is pretty fun. Like, we brainstorm back and forth, and we come up with an idea, or some certain years we've given it out to certain artists and uh, this one year we did it with the dead pigeon if you look up on instagram it's a tattoo artist in 
Japan. I think he's Swedish, lives in Japan. Uh, that was a fan of the YouTube show, and we talked, and then I was like, whoa, we make sick art, and we just kept talking, and we did this one board with, like, the kind of Viking graphic with a with an axe underneath, which is, I think, my favorite uh, graphic we did, and the most detailed, and mm. he even, like, after it was produced, he sent me, like, can you find this hidden detail? And it was, like, a l- tiny hidden detail of... Uh, What's it called? A, is it called a goon challenge when you're standing on your? No, the when you're standing face down when you're laying on face your board. Down. On your board. Oh yeah, the the Gidon 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 Gidon. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, and we were. It was this video or photo of me, Marcus and Mons or Torger doing it at Olympics, and he had hidden that photo in the graphic. So half a year later, he texts me like, "Can you find this hidden?" So I was like looking around on the whole graphic, trying to find that, which is a pretty cool That's thing. Really cool. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, th- I would, I think uh, it would be cool to work with him again. That's for so sure. cool how that works out. Um, amazing. Well, we're gonna get into the uh, pub beer crapshoot. So there's two dice that are behind your head there. Uh, two. Yep. You're gonna have to roll those. I'm gonna play the theme song here. Welcome to the pub beer crapshoot. Now, uh, Pub Beer supports the show. So if you're thinking about responsibly having a couple beverages, always choose Pub Beer. And with that being said, uh, you roll those two dice, and I'll tell you, I'll ask you a question that correlates to the number. Three. Three. Okay. Does that mean anything? The Goo Gear is a six. So three and six? Nine. Nine. This is a great question. Wow, perfect. Name one thing that's still on your career bucket list you haven't done. Alaska. All right. <laughs> well, by the... <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And you're going there Tuesday. Yeah. By the time perfect. this podcast has come out, you will have mm-hmm. done it. Yeah. Boom. Are we in going, a tent. Are we, where, uh, we going in Haynes? We going to Valdez? Where are we going? I think we're going Valdez... Pulse line. Um, Spenny kind of organized everything for with those guys. And then after I got my U.S. visa, I kind of dipped in last minute and they were able to get an extra spot. And uh, we're going to sleep in tents, do sp- split boarding and uh, hopefully a couple of heli days and just uh, be out there in nature. Sick. Hopefully good weather. <laughs> I'm hoping for good weather. What are you hoping for up there? Like lines or jumps or just anything you really have been wanting to get into? Yeah, I th- I think mostly like freestyle lines. Yeah. I I don't know what they're, they're I'm kind of like joining their mission, but I would rather ride lines and freestyle lines than building kickers. Yeah. Natty, fi- natty find back kickers. seven. Natty back seven. Or? Yeah, front seven, back seven. Mm. Cab yeah. five step down. Can't wait to see what comes out of it. Cab yeah. five step down into a natty back sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> no, I mean, I, it's easy to over rotate <laughs> probably up there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're like, whoa, this, this is jumps way bigger. way bigger than I thought. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm I'm excited. I, I go into it with like everything is a bonus. Like yeah. don't 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 get stressed out there. Like be safe. Like if yeah. you feel like it, chuck it. If yeah. not, like 
it's my first time and could be super sick could be yeah most likely super sick mm -hmm. <laughs> i would imagine <laughs> you're gonna have to hit some wim hops at the top of that yeah <laughs> or hold your breath one, one or the other yeah <laughs> both solid it might help to be dizzy going down mm -hmm. there mm -hmm. <laughs> just braille boarding okay so we're gonna hit setups we always uh, like to ask our our guests um setups what board you are riding the model the you can walk us through your whole setup outerwear boots the whole nine bindings yeah i mean i have a i've been lucky enough to get a couple of different boards with rome but uh i mostly ride the stale cruiser uh which is uh spelled c-r-e-w yeah s-e-r yeah for the crew it's for the, for the crew. crew yeah it's for the crew to cruise mm -hmm. um and uh yeah it's a it's a park board that's uh, pretty friendly but it has power too like it's quite soft for like what you would imagine like the contest rider would ride but it also has these uh, uh, hot rods on the nose and tail which kind of gives it a little bit more power on the end so I don't like tail wheelie out of everything but it's still playful enough as a softer board what um, kind of camera are we talking? Normal camera. Money? Yeah. Uh, I don't... Yeah, I'm not used to rockers. I think first time I tried a rocker, I tried a tail press, and I did half a backflip off the rail. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was used to, like, this. I rode even stiffer bo boards back then. Kind of recently gone a bit more softer. Uh, so I ride that most of the time. The cleaver bindings, Rome, uh, pretty solid bindings with the... And you can adjust a lot of stuff on these bindings. So, like, you kind of put your boot in and you adjust it to center the boot, which totally makes a lot of sense. Like, in the beginning, I didn't know that. But then when they showed me, like, years ago, I was like, whoa, that makes sense. Like, your, your toe is as much on that side of the board as your heel is on that side of the board. So you're centered. Uh, you can adjust uh, these things. For me, who has small feet, I can... My ankle strap can I can actually tighten it real hard because I can it's like the, these pivot mounts can do backwards. So there's like a lot of cool customizations. You just gotta explore it yourself and how you wanna do it, uh, which makes riding way nicer. Um, and then I ride my Oakley Signature line out of wear, uh, so I'm super stoked on uh, because I've been able to design it how I want it to look and feel. Uh, Oakley goggles, helmet, gloves, uh, pretty much, yeah, Oakley on, Oakley on the rest, and then Rome, and then uh, Merino, both Merino layers. Been getting way more into layering now after, as soon as you go a little bit outside the resort, you start noticing like how important layering is and trying not to sweat or or get wet and staying warm, and it's going to give you way nicer experience on the mountain so from like the first thing you wear to the next especially when you go touring or hiking or snowing uh, i think that's something as a, when we were competing and like a lot of the younger guys in the industry don't really know they're riding cotton t-shirt hoodie on a backcountry or on a powder day and uh you kind of learn it as you go and then and then you don't go back, I guess. Mm -hmm. 
What's up with Wolf? Like, is it new company? Yeah, out of Norway, out of Hemsedal. Yeah. Wolf. Uh, it's like wolf in a sheep's clothing. Mm. Uh, so basically... It's uh, a great saying. Base layers, merino. Uh, that's what you need. Mm. Yeah, mm -hmm. so they approached me. Like, I know the guy who founded it, and I became a part of it. So awesome. uh, before launch, and it's been cool to, like... Uh, Went on like uh, we went on a uh, some shooting and I, I was not even being shot. I was like working on figuring out how to shoot other people, not just me, mm. you know, was, which was cool. And uh, yeah, just cool to have something on the side, which is cool Why and be a part of be, be a part of something from the start. You mentioned earlier too, you um, just bought a new crib, right? In yeah, Norway, new house. Uh, gonna move in this summer. Maybe do some renovation, but take take my time, me and my girlfriend, to figure out what we want to do, like how big of a renovation, instead of just starting right away and then you spend money renovating it and then you're like, shit, I could have done this instead. This, mm -hmm. So, yeah, that'll be nice. Pretty close to my brother, actually, so now I can, can walk back and forth. Killer. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, and then... Um I mean, we pretty much did it. Uh, I guess we asked one last thing. We asked, we kind of covered this, but what's next for uh, Stale? What's next? Um, I guess uh, keep snowboarding, seeing where this filming not, uh, side of snowboarding is going to take me and ride more powder. Like now I don't have to compete the best time of the season when it's snowing all the time and it's powder. Now I can go explore that, get into some bigger mountains, tour, and just... I, I like all sides of snowboarding, so I want to kind of dip in, uh, dig in deeper to all that. I feel like I've been just dipping my toes in the water. It's time to dive in and, and explore it and and put my type of snowboarding into that terrain and mm. and hopefully at some point create like a video part that uh, I'm really happy with. <laughs> awesome. Look forward to seeing that. Yeah, I'm excited for that. Big time. I'm really excited for that, man. Um, and then uh, I guess before we wrap this thing up, if you want to throw any thank yous out, you can do that. And Shit, yeah. I mean, I don't want to miss out on anyone, but thank you to my boys back home from... I started snowboarding in Chirikirubakian. Uh All the guys, like, uh, they help, helped shape who I am and and got me to this level of snowboarding by having fun. There's no pressure. It was no, like, soccer moms or dads telling us what to do. We were just playing around. Thank you to my parents who was driving me around <laughs> everywhere I wanted to go for snowboarding and sitting out in the cold watching me and not pressuring me into anything and just being supportive. My brother, my sister, my girlfriend, national team, all my sponsors, Lasse Andersen for signing me on Oakley after I kicked him in the balls when I was six years old. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> you. <can. laughs> um, yeah, I thank you, snowboarding. Thank you, everyone. I, I don't know. It's I don't want to miss anyone out, uh, but yeah, I, 
everyone that's been part of my life, uh, it's been helping shaping who I am. Uh, I'm a person who likes to have people around me and uh, all the time. So Beautiful. Well said. Uh, thank you for what you've done for snowboarding. You've uh, skyrocketed in so many different directions, and, and it's been a real treat um, to see somebody of your stature that's good for our sport, our culture, um, and just uh, staying true to what you do. So thank you for what you've done for Snowboard Install A. We really appreciate you. And uh, we appreciate all the sponsors that and all the Patreon members and everybody that tunes in. We appreciate you guys too. So uh, it's been a good bomb hole, and we got another one coming at you next week. So uh, over and out from the bomb hole. Thank you. Thank you guys. Woo!